0: Welcome into Tailgate, Austin Gill here with Mike Renner and Sunny Cincinnati, ready to rip it up before Christmas Day. Today on the show, I'm going to recap the Saturday games, the terrible Saturday games. Also going to look at the 32 first-rounders in 2021 and give a confidence-level rating. Uh, One being Isaiah Wilson, 10 being Justin Jefferson on how good they are, how worried we are. And then at the back end of the show, I got an interview with DeMarvin Leal, Texas A.M. defensive tackle, and Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. Should be an absolute treat. Let's get it. Never betting the Raiders again. I'm never betting the Raiders again. They were favored by three against a COVID-ridden Cleveland Browns team under their third-string quarterback with Kevin Stefanski out as well. Favored by three, and they only win by two. Derek Carr stinks. This team stinks.
1: I am upset. Oh uh, man, I, they still won though. I, I know they, 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 still they still won. Kept themselves. Why didn't they in blow them out? Playoff contention, um, but man, 16 points. Like you said, now the defense it wasn't as COVID riddled as the offense for the Browns, uh, but their offense has been straight up shit since Henry Ruggs got arrested. Since Henry Ruggs got off the team. Like they're they just do not have the explosiveness that they had early on season. And obviously offensive lines in shambles, but yeah, the Raiders, it's back to the drawing board for them this offseason they're kind of we're going to get to the bears later but them and the bears are in tough situations right now seemingly with like that that middle ground and now the bears are maybe a little less than the middle ground in terms of where they're going to end up draft wise but that kind of middle ground where you have average talent on your roster you don't have elite players you don't have great draft positioning and There's no real quick fix for Mm -hmm. where they're at. I mean, I want to spend
0: a little time on that because I had a tweet prepped if they lost. It wouldn't have hit since they won. But I, I, I sarcastically wrote, I still feel that the Raiders are in a really good position to win with Derek Carr if they replace the right side of their offensive line, make upgrades at three receiving points, add eight upgrades on starters, and get a new coach, and get a new front office. Mm. That's the issue with the Raiders. The Raiders is is Derek Carr is good, but the supporting cast has been bad for 20 years. They're entering year 2021 of a rebuild. They've had one flash in the pan with Derek Carr when all everything hit with Michael Crabtree, Amari Cooper, a top 3 offensive line and a defense that wasn't complete garbage. Mm-hmm. And then he breaks his leg, and they haven't been able to claw back into that because they've made bad decisions on the sideline with coaches, bad decisions with GMs, and have failed when they traded away Khalil Mack, away Amari Cooper to actually rebuild this team, move on from Derek Carr, not because he's shit, not even because he's average. Move on from Derek Carr because he's one of your best players, but your roster is literally incapable of competing with him because you're like le- they're legitimately like
1: 16 starters away from being yeah. a legitimate team. This is the sad thing is here, and now they are 7-7, seven, seven. But they do have like a minus eighty point differential against. Like they've kind of snuck by to get seven seven. The sad thing is they should be entering a situation where the back end of Derek Carr's contract was favorable. favorable. Yeah. $22 million cap hit this year, $19.8 million cap hit next year. He like that for a starter in today's NFL is about a top half, 12 yes,
0: to you know, a top 12 to 10 quarterback.
1: Is a good 10 million dollars less than every other guy in that range is getting, if not more than that, less. So they should be entering a window where they can make some plays. And all of a sudden, they're entering a window where it's like, what do we rebuild again? Because, shit, some of your best players, Max Crosby's going to be coming up for a deal here soon. Uh, I mean, Casey Hayward's one of your best defenders. He's only on a one-year deal. Uh, Obviously, you need a new receiving core. Uh, It's just not – the cupboard is – Empty. You got some like ramen noodles left.
0: Mm-hmm. That's well, the, my take there though. Is right. Do we enter a rebuild again? Is you have to, you have to get a new coach. They're probably going to move on from Mike Mayock. They're going to reset on that side. Mm-hmm. You're going to probably, that's going to lead some more drastic or brash decisions in the roster department. They rank 10th in 2022 cap space available. Entering this offseason. They can make upgrades in free agency if they bring in someone who can identify actual upgrades. They spent big money on Corey Littleton, big money on the Marcus Joyner. They made a trade for Antonio Brown. They've drafted terribly. They need someone to come in and actually make good decisions for this roster first and foremost. But by the time it's competitive, you're gonna have to pay Derek Carr again. Because Derek Carr is entering what the last year of his deal? And Derek Carr is not going to look for another $19, $20 million cap hit. This guy wants Kirk Cousins money. He's going to go 30 32 33 I think he will ask for that money, and they'll have to pay him if they want to keep him. And at that point, you re-enter the situation where you don't have a ton of cap space. You can't add upgrades around Derek Carr, and you have to hit on your draft picks, something they've legitimately proven they can't do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I will say, though, they still did win this game. And I think the <laughs> other side of the ball is the one that had a lot more riding, at least for this season, because they had – legitimate Super Bowl and AFC North aspirations, Cleveland Browns did. And they they have a massive uphill climb. I oh, think it's, it's be over. Floored. Yeah, yeah I'd be floored now if they ended up making the playoffs.
0: It's, it's brutal in Cleveland right now. That's another team where they have a quarterback, but they're not in this situation right where they've already paid him. Like mm-hmm. the decision on Baker Mayfield is going to be a wild one in the near future for Cleveland. Let's get to the other game as well, which was equally unwatchable, pretty ugly play on both sides of the ball. Vikings end up winning this game, and they kind of had the comfortable lead the entire time. I think there was some fire Matt Nagy chants in the stands. Um, You heard, uh, I think it was one of the Barstool guys we were talking before, who said, after further review, we suck. Vikings win 17-9. I think they were favored by 3.5, or I'm not sure what it closed at, actually. Oh, no, favored at 7. It closed at 7. Vikings favored by 7. Kirk Cousins doesn't even throw for more than 90 yards in this game, and they still find a way to win. Bears offense looked abysmal in this game. Defensively, it was awful. That's another team that needs a reset. But they are obviously have a different position than the Raiders in that they don't necessarily need to make a decision at quarterback. They just need to continue to develop him. But they need to throw the literal kitchen sink at propping up Justin Fields That includes offensive coordinator, that includes coach, and then also spending where they can in free agency to upgrade this offense
1: and um, really find out if this quarterback is good. Yeah, they look like Nagy's last stand on the sideline, him just, like, reaming the refs. Oh, dude, he he got
0: a penalty for screaming.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was – I'm not sure if I've seen that this year yet. A coach just getting a penalty purely for chewing out the refs as hard as he did. And obviously some frustration over how the season has gone, but, I mean, it's – Look in the mirror for the frustration for yeah. for where this is stemming from because I think I tweeted it last night. they I haven't talked about this much, but they run wildcat snaps with Justin Fields at quarterback. They Trey Lance has more designed runs for him this year than Justin Fields does. Trey Lance has started one game. <laughs> it's it's like it now I, I don't I get not wanting to hurt your rookie quarterback, but the drop back passing game and how they're scheming that is also getting him hurt. Because like they can't, he's just doesn't have long enough to execute a lot of the concepts they're running. And obviously, the knock on him was he takes sacks, holds on the football, and we're still seeing that. Uh, now, the fourth quarter was great. I mean, obviously from Justin Fields, I, mm-hmm. I thought once he got into a rhythm passing, once they let him and obviously opened up the playbook, didn't have any other really options there. And obviously, on the other side of the football, you're not seeing the same coverages that you may in a tighter game. But I thought he looked great down the stretch. Those are why you buy into his physical tools, what he's capable of. That's like, if you're a Bears fan, that's who you can hang your hat on. But the first three quarters of this game were decidedly ugly and Bears offensively.
0: For the Vikings, still now in this race for an NFC playoff spot, I think if the if the playoffs started today, they'd have the seventh seed at seven and seven. Other teams in the hunt: Saints at seven and seven, Washington Football Team at six and seven, and then the Eagles at six and seven, all vying for that last spot. Whereas the other like wild card teams are the Rams at nine and four and the 49ers at eight and six. I like the Vikings of that group of the Vikings, Saints, Washington, Eagles. I am in on the Vikings being the best of that group and deserving of a playoff spot. Now, that they means... They
1: do have a tough schedule. They
0: though. do have a tough schedule, and that means Kirk Cousins has to play better football, has to be more productive, and this offense overall has to be more productive. Now, they didn't have Adam Thielen last night. That's obviously a factor, but I don't think that's an excuse for 87 passing yards, man. They need to get better in a hurry if they're going to score with some of the top teams in the NFC.
1: The team that has probably the easiest schedule going in of the teams of that mix is, that, I believe, I think the Eagles. Yeah, they have they play. Well, so however you view Washington, they play them twice. They play the Giants and they play the Cowboys at home, which could be a meaningless game positionally for the Cowboys. May not, could be though, and they may be resting starters depending on that. Saints also have a fairly easy entrance into the barn here for the last three games. They have Dolphins, Panthers, Falcons, so they could win out themselves. Vikings, on the other hand, they have the Packers. uh, They have the... Who's the other team they have in their schedule last three games? The Rams, sometime weekend. Packers and the uh, the Pat. uh, Yes, good to get a win there, but that's still a tough schedule into the last three here. It looks like they may only get one more win.
0: Let's get off these games and get into the meat of the show. We want to look at the all 32 first-rounders, their grades season to date, and then put, you're saying, a 1 to 10 confidence rating. One being Isaiah Wilson literally on the roof of a car at a a strip mall. And then 10 being Justin Jefferson, potentially should have won Offensive Rookie of the Year, really confident in his ability, confident in him as a rookie. Before we do, X-Chair is a proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. Working from home is more important now than ever. Optimize your home office with an X-Chair and many of our accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar. There's no going back. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. With versatile comfort and extraordinary design, X-Chair fits any space. Go to xchairtailgate.com now. That's the letter X chair dot com or call 1-844-X-Chair for $100 off your first order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Xchairtailgate.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. If you are getting someone a Christmas gift, and you are not at least considering the X chair. I think you're making a mistake. If you got someone, a loved one, a friend
1: that sits in a chair often, I think X chair is something to consider. I lean back in it on uh, Sundays. The 4 p.m. slates, usually. How did that go? I'm just watch it on my computer. It's great. Do you feel the dynamic patented lumbar? Put the, I put the, uh,
0: the massage setting on. Just chill. Love that. Let's get into these rookies. Number one overall pick was Trevor Lawrence. Year-to-date, he is has a 57.9 PFF grade, which is one of the lowest in the NFL among quarterbacks. He has not played all that well this year. And a lot of that has been situation, right? Urban, bevel. He's throwing to Laquan Treadwell. <laughs> there, there, it's not a good offensive line. It's mm-hmm. played better than I think people maybe have expected, but still not a good offensive line. Where are you right now in confidence? One being he's Isaiah Wilson, 10 being he's Justin Jefferson.
1: I'm going to give him seven. I'm still very confident in Trevor Lawrence becoming a franchise quarterback. I, I am not giving up. on like I, The grade's not great. There's no sugarcoating it. He has not overcome his talent level in a meaningful way. He still does miss more throws than I would hope. But I'm not going to come off my prior that much. It's, it's done nothing to basically shake me of that. We've talked about rookie season. We said it with a lot of those second-year breakout guys. Damn near meaningless at a lot of positions. Now, when you're good, you you would much rather them be good. And it's not completely meaningless. There's a much more likely chance of a guy being a bust when he's not good year one. That's Mm -hmm. that's a straight fact because (laughs) all busts, you know, 99.9% of busts are also not good year one. So obviously it sways the chances a little bit. And that's why the confidence level has taken off from the pre-draft, which would have been a 10, down to a 7. But I'm still not unconfident in him turning things around i I think of the rookie quarterbacks mac jones has been the most impressive but i would still take trevor lawrence over mac jones going forward into year two i I think everyone
0: would right i don't know if there's a lot of analysts that would say after what we've seen even through this season and as good as mac jones has been i think he's the favorite twin offensive rookie of the year i think jamar chase would have to have an otherworldly finish to steal that from mac jones i still would take trevor lawrence over mac jones i think I think I I sit in this like six and a half to seven and a half tier right because like there is so much wrong with the Jags. Mm-hmm. The Quan Treadwell, Tavon Austin are the guys that he's throwing to the most. And <laughs> Jamal Agnew before he got hurt was the other guy who's like a core special teamer. Yeah. This has been a they, disastrous. They
1: have, yeah, I was gonna say they have starting wide receivers who got cut from the Falcons who probably have the second worst wide receiving core in the NFL at this moment. It, so it's, a, it's rough, you know. It's rough. Like, and I think.
0: Now, if you see another season of this, and with when when they make you know upgrades, ideally on the sideline and upgrades in offense, that seven starts to get closer to a six. But right now, I think I'm in that six and a half to seven tier. I think I'll commit to the seven with you. Trevor Lawrence still very confident. Jags need to add a coach. I saw some rumors about Dabo Sweeney. Don't go back to the college well, in my opinion. Bring in someone who can legitimately like manage adults. That's all. the, the The bar is low. Manage an adult manage an adult that's it come in and manage an adult and i think they'll be okay uh number two zach wilson can i start it's not as high as a seven i'm leaning more six lowest i'd probably go is a five and a half in terms of confidence that he'll develop into mm-hmm. a common start and the biggest reason for that is i think benjamin solak wrote an excellent article for the ringer he's an analyst you can follow him on twitter i think his twitter handle is benjamin solak but about how it just he's been shit this year. <laughs> Zach Wilson has not played well. No, no, the supporting cast isn't good. No, Makai Becton has been hurt. It's, you know, Michael Fleur, Robert Sala, new coaching staff, whatever. But the reason I think you're not as excited as you are with Trevor Lawrence, who also hasn't played well, you know, Zach Wilson's grade this year is a 58, and Trevor Lawrence is a 57.9. They both haven't played well. The issue for me has been Zach Wilson. Doesn't look a lot like what he looked like at BYU. Like, you're seeing inaccuracy you didn't see on his BYU tape. You're seeing reactions to pressure that you didn't, like, literally didn't see on his BYU tape. He's regressed as the season has progressed Mm -hmm. more than he has improved. Whereas Trevor Lawrence has, like, consistently been a high performer in bunches and has not thrown tape out that you just literally have never seen before. Wilson, Mm -hmm. on the other hand, has put tape out that has been heinous. Stuff you did not see yeah. at BYU so much that you are, I think, concerned. Then you factor in the level of competition upgrade. What does the what do the Jets have to do to get good Zach Wilson back? I
1: don't think that question is as clear of an answer. Yeah, so I, I think there's fewer positives this is the better best way to describe it with Wilson. There's fewer things you watch a full game of him and you're like, oh, that's you know that he does that every time you're an NFL, you're an elite NFL quarterback. The amount of plays he makes like that are. One or two a game, whereas Trevor Lawrence, it's like a half dozen to a dozen a game. So I think that's the biggest difference. Why I'm probably going to go five for Zach Wilson. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think I think there's reason there's reason to throw four out there. I mean, it has been bad, it yeah. has been awful for Zach Wilson. And I said this, I think, on another show or maybe even last you know, yesterday's podcast. But the number one thing the Jets have to do is not win football games. They have to find out if Zach Wilson's good. They need to throw the kitchen sink this offseason in the draft and free agency, adding offensive players to prop Zach Wilson up and eliminate excuses. Literally the opposite yeah. of the other East Rutherford yes. playing team. They, they, all the Giants have done in the years that they've had Daniel Jones is find excuses for why he's playing like shit. Injuries, the offensive line, mm-hmm. the receiving core, Saquon Barkley's been hurt. You no, know, offensive coordinator hasn't you know done anything well. No more excuses. The Jets can't have, have excuses in year two. They need to legitimately shit or get off the pot with Zach Wilson as fast as you can. I said this, I think, on the NFL show. The worst, you know, when you were paying rookie quarterbacks in the draft, like $60 million guaranteed, like we did with Jamarcus Russell, the worst thing you could do is pick a bad one. Now, with rookie contracts, the worst thing you could do isn't pick a bad one, it's commit to a bad one. Yeah. And it's commit long-term and pass on quarterbacks because you're still trying to play things out, whereas you can, you know, draft and dump like the Cardinals did with Josh Rosen, and find a quicker path to success. No one in Arizona is complaining that they moved on from Josh Rosen that quickly. They got the number one overall pick again. They had a chance at a really rock star quarterback. I don't think I've ever said rock star on this show, and they got him. Kyler Murray now putting them rock in a position star. to compete compete for a
1: Super Bowl. On to Trey Lance. I don't. I, I put this as a. Incomplete. That's fine. I, I go. I like incomplete for the guys who really haven't played. And I think
0: incomplete. He has not played a ton of snaps this season. Uh, I think he has a sixty grade on the year, but like it's on like I think fewer
1: than hundred snaps. How many snaps has he even played this year? I'm gonna look it up. was well, one start. So on <laughs> one start, and it was objectively not great. That was against Arizona. Mm-hmm. It wasn't much positive to write home about. He's still dynamic as a runner. Still has a cannon for an arm, and he's still only twenty one years old. So incomplete incomplete
0: only 116 offensive snaps so far this year and like you said one start did not look great on to Kyle Pitts Kyle Pitts for the people who like like poison themselves by watching Atlanta Falcons games they are hard to watch man they are ugly they are gross not a lot of positives in those games he's been pretty fucking awesome Kyle Pitts has been great 77.9 PFF grade so far this year. It's one of the highest I think we've seen from a rookie tight end since Hunter Henry in 2016. He has been objectively good. And you've seen a lot of the same things you've seen at Florida, in addition to some more. They don't use his yak ability as much as I thought they would. They target him downfield. They target him against corners. And he wins in contested catch situations. I'm willing to go 8 here. I think I'd go as high as an 8 in terms of him panning out to be a legitimately game-changing tight end in the NFL.
1: I'm going 9. Wow. Almost 10 because he's fourth in the NFL in yards right now. And it's like, yeah, he is their number one option. Some of that's because they don't have anyone else of the top 10 tight ends in receiving yardage. He has the lowest completion percentage when targeted. Like a lot of that's because he gets forced to football. So, yeah, that, that's part of it. But the guy's 21 years old. Like We talked about this a lot. So yeah. He doesn't get the sort of he doesn't get the benefit of the learning curve that a lot of people do because he's such a high pick, fourth overall pick. You expect that guy, you know, hit the ground running, but he's still kind of adjusting to the position in a big way. Like he, he deserves some deference in that regard to, and for him to be this good this early, I, I want to almost go 10 with him. Like this is got this, he's going to be there. Mm-hmm. He's, shit. He's about to get a thousand yards as a rookie as a tight end. I, I yeah, I, I fi- I struggled to poke too many holes in this game. At this point, I think this next guy will be interesting. I'm interested
0: to hear what your number is. Jamar Chase, who is second right now in odds to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. He had an absolutely blazing start to the season. However, I don't know if I go as high as Pitts with Chase. I like a seven and a half for Jamar Chase better than Trevor Lawrence, or maybe even in that tier with Trevor Lawrence. I I, I might put him at a seven. I think Mm -hmm. seven, like right with Trevor Lawrence. Jamar Chase has played well, played really well, blazing start. He's won on a very select few of routes to start the season, a lot of go balls, a lot of vertical stuff, and he's won in a lot of similar ways and dropped a lot of balls. What I want to see, you know, when you compare his game to CeeDee Lamb, compare his game to Justin Jefferson, I want to see more variety and more versatility in how Jamar Chase is winning and more consistency, right? Like he Mm. has been somewhat of a boomer bust Receiver for the Bengals, he either gets open deep and catches a long touchdown, or he ends up with three yards, like he did this past week. That concerns me a bit. I still have confidence in him panning out. I still similar in that Trevor Lawrence tier. I think I'm going to commit to a seven with Jamar Chase.
1: I'm going to go nine. He's already over a thousand yards. To me, his rookie season is a lot like Amari Cooper's rookie season, where it's like there's one problem and it drops. Like it's like inconsistency at the catch point where it drops, contest catches. That was Amari Cooper, and. Oh yeah, it really didn't matter long term. Like he figured that out to a degree. Drops have never really been an issue for him in Dallas since he's gotten there. So we're saying what's more predictive: him being able to get open or him dropping football? It's him being able to get open. So I'm going to go nine. I think that's fair.
0: Fine, fine. A little difference there. Uh, Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle has been sick this year. Yeah. 78.7 PFF grade. Didn't play in week 15 due to injury, but he is winning exactly. It's how the Miami Dolphins want him to win, and they are leveraging him in that direction. I put him 7, 7.5 as well, maybe even all the way up to an 8. I think I'll go 8 with Jalen Waddell and him panning out to be exactly the role that Miami want drafted him to be. He is going to be their Tyree Kill, Kadarius Tony type that you can get him the ball at any area of the field, within 10 yards, down 10 mm-hmm. yards, and he's going to win um,
1: after the catch and before the catch. Here we go. First one, 10. 10? Jalen Waddell is getting a 10 confidence level for me. I haven't watched him. Um, Closely, he is up there with, like, top 15 wide receivers right in the NFL. That guy gets open elite level. Ball skills are there. He's 12 of 16 in contested catches this year. Incredible in contested catch situations this year. He has been everything. And the only thing that really hasn't been is the deep area, and a lot of that's the offense and Tua. So, yeah, Jalen Waddell. And and that's, like, his most dangerous thing. It hasn't even been tapped into. So, Jalen Waddell, yeah, I'm going 10. I'm very confident in him. I love that. Ten, top fifteen receiver in the NFL.
0: let give it me a few quote graphic. Put it on a quote graphic. Well, this next one, I think, is a ten. Panay Sewell. Panay Sewell has been fucking phenomenal this year, and you know, people talked about the slow start, couldn't play right tackle, couldn't play left tackle, allowed some sacks in the preseason. He has not just been great; he has improved like every single week. And like, if you remove the first four weeks of the season, I think he's like top three in PFF grade among offensive tackles. He has been nothing short of phenomenal. He showed up as a run blocker in a big way. And I think he is another really young player in that Kyle Pitts tier of age that he's only going to get better as he goes. He's not having a Tristan Wirfs-like rookie campaign, but it's fucking close. Like, Panay Sewell is like tier two in terms of rookie seasons at the offensive tackle position. You should, I feel like a 10, nine and a half at the lowest.
1: Yeah, I'm probably going to go nine just a touch below because the pat in terms of pass protection, Wirfs, his rookie year, 82.8. Pass blocking grade. Sewell, much better of late, still at 63, 68.3. A lot of that, obviously, the early season struggle. So I'm not going to hold it against him too much. But yeah, it's between nine and 10. Mm-hmm. He, he's as advertised. And like you said, only 21 still. On to
0: JC Horn. Not played a lot, started the year well. 67.8 pff grade and then obviously had the injury i think i'd lean more incomplete with him yeah I'd i think want give a grade. i mean games. he's only he's only played 142 snaps three games
1: and it was good a good three games so obviously, if we're gonna lean anywhere it would be in the positive realm it would be in the 878 eight range mm-hmm. but it's just too much to, three games is not enough to really make a sweeping decision off someone especially when you faced the jets the saints and the texans in those three games i got another 10 next here
0: Patrick Sertan. Patrick Sertan is a fucking 10. He has been sick. He has been veteran so far this year. He has been – I think he's had a better season than Trevon Diggs this year. He has not allowed 100 yards in any game this year. You probably, if you go back and look at every rookie cornerback in PFF history – There were very few that did not allow 100 yards in a single game Mm -hmm. their first season. He's only allowed three touchdowns, four interceptions, six passes, defense. People aren't throwing at him either. Very low target per coverage snap. He has been phenomenal. I think he's going to develop into one of the league's best at the position. I think he's one of the future stars at cornerback in the NFL. Like He's going to enter this Ramsey, Lattimore, Humphrey tier of young quarterbacks dominating
1: the NFL. I'm not ready to quite go that far, but I will go nine. Okay. Is definitely in that tier, but and because the reason being was because of his he was billed and like his Alabama tape was NFL ready, mm-hmm. and so it's like the other concerns were more physical than and now it's not saying he doesn't possess enough physical tools, but it's not like uh, gosh who was a guy that was also NFL ready. Like A-cuda. it's not like <laughs> Rayshon Slater who NFL ready, also an elite athlete. Playing at elite level, like when we get to him, he's going to be a 10. So Patrick Sertan, just going to go nine. Devontae Smith. I don't don't know if that made any fucking sense. I don't know if it it did either.
0: Devontae Smith, the 10th pick in the draft, he has been very good this year. Very good this year. Um, has I believe 701 yards he's averaging I think over 2 yards per out run he has been or no 1.67 yards per out run but he has gotten consistently created separation has not had any issues with drops i think the the inconsistency with his game has been some of the accuracy from Jalen Hurts but also has been not all that great in contested catch situations and getting fed a lot of contested targets yeah. 6 of 19 in contested catch situations still creating if you turn on the tape a ton of separation but I think some of his production is quarterback play. I'd lean eight and a half, nine with Devontae Smith and him developing into exceeding or like at or exceeding expectations. Like people came in, he's going to be a number one receiver. He's yeah. going to be Amari Cooper levels of number one receiver. I think eight and a half, nine is where I'd lean in terms of confidence in him hitting that expectation. Yeah, I think
1: eight. I, I feel good about him. I don't feel like when you watch Chase and when you watch Waddle, you see special, special plays. And, and that's not a knock. Like you can be a top, you can, Smooth, be an elite, you can be an elite NFL receiver and not wow every, you know, and not have to have these wow, wow reps. But I just think he's very, he's a number one type of wide receiver, is going to be for a while. But I'm just not sure you're getting, you know, the next big thing. I, I still feel,
0: I mean, Devonte Smith's and, production is not as good as what he's been on tape. That's a fact. Yeah, like go okay, back and that. watch all of his routes. Go back and watch all of his targets. You'll see he's consistently creating separation. He's not struggling with press. Like some of those concerns that we had because he's so thin, not showing up. It is showing up a bit in contested yeah. catch situations, and you but I don't think you should be concerned at his contested target rate. Like he's creating a ton of separation. Some of these throws are late. Some of these throws are being thrown into contested situations from Jalen Hurts. Pick number eleven, Justin Fields. Played last there night. We go. Oh man, this one's tough. I'm not putting him in the Trevor Lawrence seven tier. Mm-hmm. I am putting Fields in the six and a half to six tier. He's better than Wilson. Wilson's thinking it's like a five and a half-six. I would give Fields six and a half in terms of developing into a franchise quarterback for the Chicago Bears. He has played well, but the sack to pressure rate or the pressure to sack conversion is tough. The um I mean that's been the biggest concern. Him handling a bad supporting cast in Chicago has been up and down, a roller coaster in terms of production. But accuracy has been good. Pushing the ball downfield, his athleticism is on par, if not better, than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that are you know these athletic types.
1: I, I think six and a half is where I sit. I'm going to go seven. I, I I like what I've seen from Fields a lot more than Wilson. I mean, like in terms of just like things that you can hang your hat on this rookie season. And the biggest being is that he has been legitimately dynamic as a runner. And that's just not getting tapped into at all in the Bears' offense. That I think is the biggest thing is you have an offense that looks nothing like how you would put together an offense for Justin Fields. And you have plays, quarters, stretches on his tape that he looks like the Ohio State guy. Now, it's very inconsistent still. And there is still plays like the, the, the screwed up, handoff or screwed up snap that he then kneels and gets hit yesterday there are plays that just sort of like what the hell is he doing or what the hell is going on that just looked like he's still very much a rookie but i mean we didn't see those last year at ohio state like those will get cleaned up those don't happen in year four or five that just i mean that never happens we were like these that will not be the case at that point in time so i think those things will get smoothed out i still feel very confident and at least the floor of fields mm-hmm. being quality and a competent NFL starting quarterback.
0: I mean, the offensive line improves. You add to this receiving core and give him a competent offensive play caller, and I think he he ascends. Like, yes. he has the tools that you – I mean, the Zach Wilson conversation, I thought was really good. Zach Wilson was expected to do X because you saw X at BYU. Yeah. You haven't seen it. You haven't seen X. You've seen fucking Zach- Y and, 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 and trash. With Fields, you expected Fields to do X, X being accurate, athletic, and, pass. You know, and able to push the ball downfield, he's done those things only in spurts. Yeah, and he still needs to improve against pressure, and he still can't take the bad sacks that he does. I think he leads the NFL in EPA lost on sacks because he takes a shitload of bad sacks. But you know who takes bad sacks? Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, these guys that think they can do you no know, more than what Aaron other routers can. Three years and, ago, huh?
1: Aaron Rodgers like three years ago. True, so. true.
0: Number twelve. I don't know if we've got to spend too much time on this one. Michael Parsons, 10. He's third in odds to win defensive player of the year. He's the obvious favorite and will win defensive rookie of the year. He can play linebacker. He can play defensive end. The only concern with Parsons coming out was the off-field stuff. That's the only reason, right? Like, did you have other knocks on Parsons? Like, legitimately
1: knocks. So, like, he had a limited coverage role at Penn State, and it was TBD of how he would translate in that regard. But... The dude hasn't allowed, in the last three games, has been targeted five times, hasn't allowed a catch. He broke up a pass on Kenny Galladay on a wheel route yesterday. That so was
0: gross for Galladay.
1: <laughs> there needs to be more conversation on Galladay. We don't have odds, we don't, we on
0: don't need bad to, players, but like yeah. Galladay has been freaking horrendous this year. Yeah.
1: But Mike Parsons, athletically, what he could do, it was going to happen. Even if it's just like, hey, have him play man coverage every time or have him do a very limited role and coverage we're limited in scope and where he has to just you know look at one guy or look at you know a simple assignment the dude's going to be able to execute it because i had not seen a linebacker at that size move the way he did as a sophomore again mm-hmm. back at penn state he was a special prospect i thought he got very much overthought and like i said the only thing the only thing i had concern wise was the off field so dropping him to 12 overall Dude,
0: as long as Michael Parsons doesn't bully a Cowboys teammate, I think he's going to be like an All Pro, like
1: like a perennial All Pro. Like that was the biggest concern we had with him, right? Like some of those you read. I mean, some of those I wasn't worried about him bullying team. I didn't think it was anything that was going to happen at the NFL level. It was just that was something the decision making of that, right? Like it's like if you made those decisions in
0: college. Where does that show up in the NFL? More bad decisions. Maybe it's not it still
1: literally bad. going from
0: bullying people yep. at Penn State to bullying kids at the NFL, but it is like still that like wear and tear of that. But anyway, Rashawn Slater. The wear and tear. The wear and tear.
1: <laughs> Pick number 13. Chargers grab Rashawn Slater. It's like ironic considering what the allegations were, but continue.
0: Nine and a half, ten for Rashawn Slater. Ten. I mean, he's in that, Rashawn he's Rashawn
1: in Slater. that Sewell tier for me. Yeah. Ten for Rashawn Slater. He's Pro Bowl left tackle already, if not in the all pro conversation. Not first team all pro, obviously, because Trent Williams exists, but in the conversation, probably second team. You might get my vote for left tackle second team because he's been healthy all year. Besides this past week when he got COVID, yeah, he is as advertised, seventy nine point nine pass blocking grade this season. Been that's like I said, Worfs was just over that last year, but not a lot of guys have played at worse level. So I'm very confident.
0: NFL getting lucky with some tackle talent here. Slater, True. Sewell, Worfs. I mean Beckham so rare been healthy.
1: Rare couple years here, for sure.
0: And then this upcoming class is also good. Like, this tackle class is also good. Ika McQuann, Evan Neal, there's a lot of freaks at that position entering the NFL right now. Pick 14, Elijah Vera Tucker. Vera Tucker has had some really, really impressive plays as a mm -hmm. run blocker this year for the Giants. I mean, not Giants, for the Jets. There have been concerns in pass protection more than there have been as a a run blocker. Mm -hmm. And I still feel that the expectations for Elijah Vera Tucker were we're going to draft him and we don't have to draft a guard for 15 years. Like that was what everyone talked about. Safe, high floor, productive player. It's going to happen. I'd put confidence level on him hitting those expectations given what we've seen so far at a seven. Like in that Trevor Lawrence tier. I think he can do that. I think he can hit that. Now allowing 25 pressures at guard, whereas Slater has allowed 22 in the games he's played. He has not been that level of productive, but I still think he can develop into that as he moves forward. Offensive line. Worf, Slater, Sewell, these guys are fucking outliers, man. Like Hitting the ground running the NFL along the offensive line is very difficult. I think he improves as his career progresses.
1: I like seven. Maybe even a little higher than that. He's he's going to be very good. There You've seen the flashes, Mm -hmm. but I I just think it's been a little up and down. Obviously, going from left tackle last year, played left guard two years ago, but left tackle last year to left guard this year, and been just – fine so i i'll go you know seven. we've been really high so far i think the lowest so far is Zach well, Wilson, at like a five and a half right? i said it i mean before the draft there, who was i someone asked me "Is like who's going to be a bust at the top of this draft and i'm like out outside of the quarterbacks where it's like shit good luck trying to predict who's going to be a bust and who's not the position players at the top of the draft were elite yeah like it was a blue chip class the top i didn't think any of those guys were going to be a bust and should. I don't think any of them are still. Yeah. We're 14 picks in. I don't think any guy that I'm worried about. Maybe Wilson would be the worst, right? I mean, Wilson. But I'm saying position players, yeah, quarterbacks. Oh, okay. But the position players, there's not a single guy we're below seven on right now. 15, Mac Jones.
0: 81.5 PFF grade so far this year, might finish the season with the highest rookie PFF grade we've ever handed to a quarterback in, since 2006. He has been phenomenal. And in terms of, I always go back to expectations, right? What were his expectations going in? To come in, operate the offense, be extremely accurate. He doesn't have the arm talent that these other guys have, but he can be on time, the accuracy, mm-hmm. the timing, all that stuff. And he has fucking hit the nail on the damn head. Now, is he... He still has shown he doesn't have this, like, Fields-Lawrence-like ceiling. Like, he's shown that. He doesn't have that. However, what he does have is still very damn good and winnable in yeah. the NFL. I think he's at a 9, 9.5 in terms of what people expected from him and where he's hitting.
1: Yeah, I think nine's fair. And now it's, yeah. like, even if you're getting this guy for the rest of his career, that's a starter. Yeah, 100%. Like it's a, you know, a high-end starter. Yeah. It's a top 12,
0: top 10 starter.
1: It's, like, a slightly better version right now of Teddy Bridgewater. Is what I think you're getting out of Mac Jones play wise. And that's again, the starter in the NFL, because Teddy Bridgewater's been a fucking starter for forever. That if you're getting that as a rookie, which you didn't really get that from Teddy Bridgewater's rookie, that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, that bodes well for your future. So <laughs> 11th highest, or excuse me, ninth highest graded pass, ninth best passing grade in the NFL right now. I wouldn't call him probably a top 10 quarterback right now. Mm-hmm. But even if, I'm trying to think, like, even if your ceiling's. Kirk Cousins, uh, which was kind of the guy I kept going to back to with him throughout the draft process. That's still, like I said, a nine. He plays problem. like this throughout his rookie contract. He will be
0: consistently competing for a Super Bowl. Yes, that's a fact. Now, the issue—not the issue, but like the the challenge, the challenge, the opportunity the Patriots will have to be more positive about it will be: How do you win with Mac Jones when you pay him thirty five mil? Yeah. You know, how do you well, win with? Kirk Cousins, when you pay him 30, 35 mil, to build a roster around a guy that is limited. Everyone would say Mac Jones is limited. To, to build a roster around a guy that's limited and paid a shitload of money is difficult. We've seen that with every team trying to compete for a Super Bowl right now. Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, these guys that have you know that fringe top 12 to top eight quarterback but don't have the money to spend big now. The Patriots have the money to spend big now, and they will continue to do so. Mm-hmm. At, with Mac Jones on this rookie contract the challenge will be when he comes off that rookie contract pick 16 Zaven Collins I think this conversation will be interesting he has in my opinion shown a lot of what we saw at Tulsa now he's also shown a lot of what we didn't see at Tulsa like bad coverage ability at times you know kind of felt I feel like overmatched at times um when asked to not go in a straight line like he doesn't have a similar body type. He doesn't even have a similar role. But there is like some Sean some Evans to his game, right? Where like if he's down coming downhill in a straight line, he's going to light some people up. He's going to play mm-hmm. well against the run. And you ask him to turn his back to the line of scrimmage and, and, and rotate around in coverage, it hasn't looked all that pretty. In terms of him turning into a competent starter at linebacker, which I think what they're looking for at 16, a guy that can have high-end plays, I maybe consider him a, six and a half, seven, um, in that in that tier right there.
1: Yeah, I would probably go six. I just, the fact that he's not cracking the starting lineup after basically being told that he was going to. And again, at 16 overall, we were a little bit lower on him in the draft process. He was later on in the 20s for us. Some of that's the position value of linebacker. Some of that's just like a six-foot, four, 260-pound linebacker is difficult to ask yeah. in today's NFL. <laughs> There's a reason it's, it's, the position has trended far away from those types of players. So you need a plan for a guy like that. We kept talking about it. He needs kind of a plan to be effective. And obviously that's not been necessarily the case with him this season with Cardinals being a backup. You're not going to scheme a situation for a backup, but yeah, I'll probably say six, just because not cracking the starting lineup. But obviously Jordan Hicks is a fine linebacker, so no real shame there. On to 17. This is probably where the
0: conversation starts to skew more negative. Yeah. Alex Leatherwood, Raiders first round pick out of Alabama, drafted to play tackle, now trying to carve out a role along at guard, right guard specifically, alongside a failed tackle project in Brandon Parker. You ha- go ahead and start with this one.
1: Whew. Um this is gonna be the first low one. It's gonna be the first below five one. Mm-hmm. And it's not saying that it's over. Over. Remember, Wilson is one. Wilson's a one, so we're not going that low. That would be ridiculous. I don't even think there's a two in this first round. But we're going three. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna go three for him just because that's about as low as you'll see at the position starting in the NFL, like to even start a career off. He is the lowest graded starting guard. He's lower. Er, he's lower than even Jalen Mayfield, who was drafted in the third round, and now he's playing a position that he did not play last year. Is Joshua between two positions, but. It's just been very, very ugly. So three, but three is basically just like throw the rookie year out altogether. Yeah, he needs a- anything a lower than a
0: reset. Three. Yeah. So,
1: I I am leaning three
0: and bordering on. I mean, the the highest you'd go for Leatherwood, in my opinion, is three and a half. Like, there's not nothing from this season that you could take away and say, man, we can build off of this. Like, the only thing that's been that he's played and mm-hmm. he's added that experience, and with offensive linemen specifically. Threes are borderline expected. Like, fours are borderline expected, right? Like, yeah. coming in and being a Sewell or being a Worfs is not easy. And and especially for a guy that's not even playing the position he played last year. Now, some people projected him as a guard. I know Dame Brugler projected him as a guard, and he's kicked inside there. And people, expected in my, people had to have expected him to play better at guard, right? And mm. it still hasn't been good. Among every rookie guard that's been drafted since 2006, his PFF grade ranks the fourth lowest. That's 115 of 118. It has been as bad as it gets for the guard position among rookies. You need to burn the tape and find someone who can actually develop him into a competent starter. Or he looks like this in year two, that number drops like a two, one and a half, and Alex Otherwood is not your future starting guard. All right, 18, Jalen Phillips. We haven't had a lot of conversation on this show on Jalen Phillips. What has been your opinion of his play?
1: You've seen flashes. I mean, the Carolina game – i thought it was exceptional and now he's going up against backup tackles in that one um but i th- i've been pleasantly surprised or like i i've seen enough to where it's going to keep going like, i think you're going to build momentum as he goes on throughout his rookie deal he's definitely not quitty pay he's not michael parsons as a pass rusher i think those guys have been a little bit more impressive but i'm going to go with a seven for Phillips just because the physical tools were there. And 6'5", 266, like he's built for the NFL game. So I feel fairly confident Phillips. Like I said, not this year necessarily being, I mean, he only has a 62.3 pass rushing grade, but I've definitely seen enough to where in the future I think it's going to be.
0: There are games where he finds it, right? There are games where it's like it all shows up, but it has been a bit sporadic. At least they've consistently played him at one position and have – in my opinion, done a good job of helping him improve every single week. The Carolina Panthers game, seven pressures, even the Giants in week 13, he had five total pressures. He got 37 on the season. This looks like a rookie campaign where he will improve in year two, will improve in year three. Injuries are like the only thing that could like really derail mm-hmm. his development, and obviously that was one of the bigger concerns for him coming out of Miami. A guy that retired from football due to injuries now came back. Um, he's a guy that you'd expect to be better in year two and year three. I still don't know if I'd go seven, knowing that we kind of set this bar with Trevor Lawrence out of yeah. seven. I think I'd probably lean six and a half. Six and a half, six would probably be the lowest I'd go with Jalen Phillips. On to the 19th pick overall, Jamin Davis, linebacker out of Kentucky for the Washington football team. He's played a ton of snaps this year. There has been flashes. Now, it is so hard, and we've had this – conversation on the show it is so hard to grade well at linebacker in today's nfl you're consistently targeted the best linebacker in the nfl allows a completion on like nine eighty percent of his targets he's allowed a completion on 90 percent of his targets so far this year 278 yards allowed in coverage he has not had an easy opportunity to grade well in coverage and has not stood up in run defense either has been kind of beat down by second level blocks quite a bit now is he still athletic can he still move sideline to sideline and does he have the splash plays yes But to grade well and to be productive, productive enough to be the 19th overall pick and meet those expectations, you just haven't seen that from him
1: yet. I'm going to go low here, sadly, because he's just been wild. Yeah. Like, he's just been – the game's not – now, obviously, coming from, we said he had such an easy role at Kentucky. or not easy, but, like, such a limited role. Was not asked to do a ton at Kentucky and that it was going to be a learning curve. But, man, it has been it's even like the things he should have been doing well, like tackling, like straight up bringing down ball carriers in space that you would think is just an instinctive or just a part of the game that doesn't necessarily go away. Once you go from the college to the NFL, he's been bad at it. He has a 43.1 tackling grade. He has 10 missed tackles on 67 attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go three. I, Three. I, I'm just very worried about Jamie Davis. No, I'm I'm going four, four
0: and a half. Okay. I I don't feel that terribly about it. Now, part of me I think has this track record of like these lineback you know, linebackers coming in and like Patrick Queen, Jordan Brooks, um, Devin Bush, guys have just like come in athletic and not graded well and not had um, you know a ton of production worthy of where they were drafted. Right, like that's always the thing. Worthy of the 19th overall pick at a low value position. Jamie Davis is not rising to that fucking billing,
1: but. You haven't even seen splash plays with Jamin Davis, is the problem. Like Devin White, Patrick Queen, there was the one yeah, splash. The force fumble. Jamin Davis doesn't have a play with a plus one grader higher this year. Oh my God. Really? Yes. Okay, I'm going three. <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's just not been good. Kadarius Tony, the 20th
0: overall pick. I'll say this he did not start off well.
1: And if you know the PFF grading system, it goes zeros, you're expected, mm-hmm. plus point five. So like you do a f- good play. Plus one's like a very good play. Plus 1.5's like, you know, a next nice pick. Play. Excellent play, too. is like as good as it gets. So that not having a play higher than a plus point five is very concerning for a linebacker. Kadarius
0: Tony. His start in New York was not great. Like he was struggling to see the field. I think he was like and off and on the COVID list. But then you had that game against Dallas where he, you know, he showed up big. It was a, you know, he looked dynamic. He he looks different with the football in his hands. He was Legitimately, like, what they asked him to be. 10 target or 12 targets, 10 receptions, 189 yards, no touchdowns, but, man, was as impressive as it gets. Since then, 36 yards against LA, 26 yards against Kansas City, 9 yards against Vegas, and then 40 yards against Tampa Bay. We haven't seen it since. This is, in my opinion, the type of career Tony's going to have until someone legitimately... Factors him in as like a focal point yeah. of the offense, right? Like he has to be schemed touches. Everyone said that coming out. He did. He wasn't a polished route runner coming out of Florida, but when you get the ball in his hands, holy fucking shit, that's what Kadarius Tony is. And I think until he develops and takes this maturation as a route runner forward, yeah, you're going to need to pepper him, scheme him, targets near the line of scrimmage, get the ball in his hands, and watch him work. And the Giants don't think have done a good job of that in terms of the grade or the confidence level and him being what we expected. I mean, I put a, a, like a nine, but in terms of him being worthy of that pick, yeah, it's probably closer to like a six, six and a half, seven.
1: So, I will say this: he this season, as a rookie, you know, right out the gate, he is the single most impressive player I've seen in the NFL with the ball in their hands this year. Like more than Hill? Yes. Wow. He uh, the way he moves is out of this world. I, I think even more so than Tyree Kill. Now, Tyree Kill maybe more of a threat to house one, but I mean, Darius Tony has some speed in his own right, and he just makes guys miss with ease. He broke 12 tackles on 35 catches before injury struck. What he does with the ball in were... his hands is nuts. It's insane. But he also is just, like you said, just a freelance route runner still, and to get those touches has to, a lot of times, like be him He needs to get paired with someone not named Jason Garrett, basically. Um, we said, shit, we said that immediately when he fucking drafted him, like they went to the wrong spot to be, have a productive rookie season. Um, so I'm still confident though, that that ability will manifest in ways, even if he's not a thousand yard type of wide receiver every year. So I'm going to go eight.
0: Next guy on the list here, Quiddy pay. I'm in on Quiddy pay. Quiddy play has a 73.9 PFF grade this year. I think that's second. Best behind Micah Parsons among I think um, rookie defenders or somewhere in that range. Thirty total pressures on the year. He had a really good game against the Jets. Ninety point five PFF pass rusher grade and nine total pressures. He still looks very dynamic. He still looks very explosive and athletic, and he's winning as a pass rusher despite very much like still maturing from a polished standpoint with his moves. I think Pay it's only a 73.9 grade so far this year. I think that gets better as he progresses. Maybe like a like a Marcus Davenport like projection in
1: terms of development. Yeah, I'm going to so, go what are you I gonna didn't go? give a number. I'm going to go 8. I'm going to go 8 as well. I think that's very fair. And now he's, he's still not too dissimilar from the guy we saw at Michigan like he's not developed a ton of impressive moves overnight. But even still it's like he's still a 73.9 grade is good for a rookie. Yeah. And for him to not have seen much in the way of development. I, I think it's only going to go up from here. So yes, I'll go eight.
0: Before we get to 22 through 32, shouting out a sponsor here, DraftKings. Tis the season of giving and DraftKings sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL is giving you a Christmas present you won't want to re-gift. New, new customers can bet just $5 on any of the four NFL teams playing on Christmas and win $100 in in free bets if they're victorious. Why not win some green and put some extra jingle in your pocket? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win on Christmas Day. And win $150 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code PFF this Christmas at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply to DraftKings.com. Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. Number 22, Caleb Farley. He's not played a lot of snaps. He's been hurt. Could be an incomplete situation for Tennessee, but I think he's played 60 snaps this year. Do you want to say anything on Farley? I am worried though. Yeah, because injuries were the so, biggest thing.
1: Injuries, massive thing. Obviously, he had the back injury, why he falls to 22, had torn his ACL already his freshman year at Virginia Tech, tears his ACL in week six. That's when there's sm- it's a lot of smoke, mm-hmm. I'll just say, for a guy who, I mean, I mean, you take the injury risk in Jeffrey Simmons and you hit a home run. You take the injury risk in Farley. It's that's a bad start now. Very I think overcomable, it's, it's incomplete with red ink though. But that's a lot of yeah.
0: Incomplete with red ink and maybe a little underline, maybe a little ghoul sticker. If we're, I don't know. <laughs> if we're in first grade, <laughs> if we're in first grade, I'm putting a ghoul sticker next to this incomplete. Christian Derisaw started the season off hurt, some worrisome there for development. Didn't get a didn't get into the game until week five. But since then, dude, turn on the fucking Darosaw tape. He yeah. has been awesome. He is. Legitimately improved every single week. Playing left tackle for the Minnesota Vikings. Last night, 91.6 run blocking grade, 81.3 PFF grade, highest of his career. Darisaw is legit, dude. I am big on Darisaw, Not putting him into that Sewell Slater tier, but man, they got a slam dunk, I think, at this draft spot, right? 23, they traded back and still got a competent, what looks like to be a starter at left tackle. I think 8.5 is a good position to put Derrissaw in.
1: I like eight. I still do think pass protection-wise, work in progress. That was to be expected considering what he did at Virginia Tech. It was like a super RPO heavy offense. He was not tested a ton, not a ton of drop-back passing concepts in that offense much more now in Minnesota, and and you saw it. Like He had allowed a couple sacks to Robert Quinn yesterday. Robert Quinn's a difficult ask for even – I mean, shit, he ate Oakton Jenkins' lunch earlier this year. He's a unique edge rusher in the – matchups and how he wins bending the edge at his size so I'm not gonna ding him too much but like you said the run blocking the games against like Carolina where he shuts guys out have been impressive there's there's enough there that I'm excited about what just what he's done so far this rookie season
0: I'm big on Darisaw I liked him coming out I think he's met expectations if not exceeded expectations especially coming back from injury right like not given the opportunity yeah preseason to really work through a lot of these kinks he's he stepped up in a big way for Minnesota number 24 this one I'm going to take twofold Najee Harris running back for Pittsburgh confidence level in him meeting slash exceeding pre-draft expectations eight nine confidence level in him confidence level in him being valuable in this pick is like Isaiah Wilson one one and a half like Did I expect Najee Harris to come in and get this many touches and break as many tackles as he has and gain this many yards of contact? Yes. And it hasn't been that great in terms of my preseason expectations. But in in terms of actually being like a valuable pick in this spot, it's like two, maybe one and a half. Like he is not going to be – he's going to be a starting running back for the Steelers for as long as they have him. That's a fact. He's, he's, He's good. He's a good running back. But the problem is is at 24, like they are not going to get the value of this pick, dude, not at all. Compared to some of the other positions they could have targeted, I mean Rashad Bateman's picked a couple picks later, and I would have rather had Rashad Bateman.
1: Um, I would have rather had a lot of other players that were drafted. There. I'm honestly a little worried, even just about him being productive NFL player. Like as like you said, the value proposition as a running back for a first rounder, he, he looks slow. I mean, Dazzy Harris, slow. in terms of the echelon of NFL running backs, is in the bottom five to 10 starters in terms of actual juice and speed. Mm-hmm. And now I thought, I think Javante, I feel like Javante Williams looks slower than I remembered at North Carolina this year for the Broncos, but he's bringing tackle still on lead level. Najee Harris is not quite doing that. And yes, he doesn't have the office line from of him, whatever, but there have been plays that have been well blocked and he doesn't have a carry longer than 23 yards all season long. Yeah. And he's I just not a home run hitter. And so 3.5 yards for carry. Like it, he's good in the passing game. Make one man miss in space, but he just is lacking the juice that I would want from. If you're drafting a guy that high, he better be top ten type of running back potential. I don't see if Najee Harris. I guess I, I struggle f- with this f- one. Right, go four. Be- I
0: guess I struggle with this one because, in terms of him meeting or exceeding the Steelers draft expectations, he's probably a four, like you said, right? Yeah. But we collectively were not super high on Najee Harris compared to others, and. I don't. I don't think he's done anything we didn't expect, right? He ranks middle of the pack in forced missed tackles per touch. He ranks middle of the pack in yards after contact per attempt. That's kind of where we saw him going. Like we did not expect Najee Harris to be a better running back than Javante Williams. Yeah. Where did you end up having Najee Harris on the board at then?
1: In like the seventies or something.
0: So. I, I don't. I mean, he has been a seventies level running back, especially yeah. with the workload that he's gotten. He has been like more impressive as a pass catcher mm-hmm. than like I think people give him credit for. He's forced a ton of missed tackles. I think he leads all running backs and missed tackles on
1: receptions, but still, meeting the value, this has been a a disaster. So the thing is, like, yeah, he kind of forces missed tackles the way – I'm not putting this on him. Don't freak. But the way Trent Richardson – Like, Trent Richardson was the lead at breaking tackles. It's over. He was, but he broke tackles at a standstill a lot of Mm -hmm. times. Like, Donji Harris had a catch at a swing route last week against the Titans, where I think he broke three tackles and didn't gain a single yard because of it. (laughs) You know, like, that's Mm -hmm. the kind of – been his MO or just not been his MO, but just been sort of the story of his rookie season. It's like, yeah, you can make a guy miss, but it's then he's a sitting duck after that because he just doesn't have the juice coming out of it. Next one's incomplete. Travis Etienne, I don't think played a snap. Yeah, he had the Liz Frank prior to the season.
0: Liz Frank prior to the season, so still incomplete there. And getting the value out of that pick is going to be difficult at 25. Urban Meyer, good job. Twenty-six, Greg Newsome, Cleveland Browns. He has been solid
1: this year Yeah, i'm gonna go this is gonna be a high one for me
0: high one for you i think he's been really good i have not admittedly watched a ton of his all 22 i think early in the season i did but um i guess give your take on Greg. i'm gonna go
1: nine greg newsom's right up there with patrick Sertan from what i've seen from his really yeah Uh, he's been that good doesn't have the pick numbers but i think he's been just as sticky and dude's only 21 years old turned 21 after the draft he was 20 when he was drafted um I've really liked what I've seen from him, 68.9 coverage grade so far this season, seven PBUs. Now he's getting banged up a little bit, had a concussion, I believe, is why he hasn't been out the past few weeks, had was an ankle earlier in the season, but I think he still played great football. I am nine on Greg Newsom. I'm going
0: incomplete because I have not watched enough of his film. I think I'm going to hand up, say I need to watch more Greg Newsom. I've seen the splash plays, but I need to watch more Greg Newsom. Rashad Bateman, Rashad Bateman started the season hurt. Has played as like kind of the Ravens wide receiver one since he's gotten back, and I think you've seen a lot of the impressive polish that you saw at Minnesota. There have been games or snaps rather that where you've kind of been impressed. In my opinion, I've been impressed with what he's thrown mm-hmm. out. I think Rashad Bateman. I lean like eight for Bateman here. Yeah. I think Bateman has been sick this year, and I think we'll continue to get better as. More consistency at quarterback, and also like legitimately just like has to develop and stay healthy. Like he yeah. missed, it. you know, didn't, didn't play a game until week six this year. Has had some, you know, two or
1: three games over eighty yards receiving. I think Bateman gets better in year two. I'm still in on Bateman, but I'm going to go a little lower. I'm going to go seven. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that offense is just a difficult one to put up a ton of big numbers in. But I have been impressed with what I've seen, and he's been good at the catch point as well. So we worried a little bit about the drops. Haven't been that big of an issue. Only three drops all season long. So I'm going to go. Seven on Bateman, Peyton Turner. One of your guys ahead of the draft. He's been incomplete. He's barely played. He's, he's barely played. Injuries. I think he's on the injury reserve right injury now. Injury reserve right now with the shoulder. So that one, incomplete. There were some flashes though. Ten total
0: pressures, and he's only rushed the mm-hmm. passer 111 times in his career. I think going back and maybe watching some of those games, you'd see, you'd be impressed with some of the production that he's had. But incomplete, I think, is where you'd see it. But he's not in red ink. Yeah, it's not, it's not a red ink incomplete with Peyton Turner. Eric Stokes. He's kind of had a roller coaster of a season, man. I yeah. have seen a lot of Eric Stokes tape, and he's played a lot this year, and he's been leaned on a lot this year. Has an impressive coverage grade for a rookie cornerback at 67 point zero. He's been a lot better than probably our preseason expectations. I wouldn't put him in that Sertan tier, or I guess your Newsom no. tier. But I mean, six and a half, seven. I think anything lower than six and a half, you're being kind of an asshole.
1: Yeah, I think of all the. Sort of guys you didn't like, low the Stokes. Pick, I was gonna right? say, of all the guys I was low on in the first round, this has been the one that I've been the most pleasantly surprised by. And now there were a number of ones we were low on in the first round, but like I said, this one I just didn't see Stokes necessarily like selling in this defense. And now there's been some negatives, and I don't think he's ever gonna be sticky, shut down, that he didn't have, he's not that kind of guy. But he has incredible makeup speed, and that has played on multiple occasions, saved him on multiple occasions, and that's something that just that's why teams draft guys like that because that doesn't go away. Yeah, you he's gonna run a four-three for the next five six years at least, and you know barring catastrophic injury. So I've been impressed with him. I'm gonna probably get to go seven, but obviously like pre-draft would have been like a you know three-four was where you were at with him yeah. when he got drafted 29th overall. So I'm gonna go bump that up to a seven. Uh, I think he's been lost at the catch point time, still struggles to find the football. I don't think he's ever going to be a... If he ever gets four picks in a season, I'll be floored. But he's a tough guy at the line of scrimmage, and that speed has played. So I'm in. Stokes 7.
0: Number 30, Greg Rousseau, former Miami-Florida edge. He opted out of the 2021 2020 season, has been, has played a ton for Buffalo this year, was outstanding in the preseason, had a couple, handful of splash plays, and he has been somewhat spotty as a pass rusher. Yeah. I think eight pressures against Miami, a bad offensive line, and then five pressures against Miami again, a bad offensive line, and then Carolina this past week, four total pressures. He doesn't have more than two in any other game. Mm-hmm. He has, however, been excellent in run defense. I don't think that's going away. 6'6", 260, he has the frame, and I think in Buffalo, the like he's in a great position to develop as a run yeah. defender with what they've done along that defensive line. I think he's going to be a solid, capable starter. And at 30... That, in my opinion, is kind of what they draft him for. Will he be this premier pass rusher? No, I don't think so. I'd put my confidence level on that probably at like a five, five and a half. But my confidence level on him being a capable starter, excellent in run defense, I'm leaning probably seven, seven and a half.
1: Yeah. So of his twenty-three pressures over your twenty-five pressures on the season, over half of them came against Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Two games. That's rough. So he, he really doesn't have pass rush moves. Mm-hmm. Still, like he's kind of just collapsed the pocket. Big and long. He's yeah, just big long the pocket, and that's a good starting point. And obviously, that's translated to the run. So I'm going to go six here, okay? Because that's worrisome in terms of being a first rounder. Right? Yes, yeah, so like first rounder, a good run defender is not. You know, it's better than an alternative a guy who sucks completely. But that's not why you draft a guy at 30 overall to be a good run defender. So I'm just going to go six. Still think he could, and. Has, all the, has the tools to, but I'm just a little hesitant to put him in the, you know, quiddy page here. 31,
0: Adafe Owe, formerly Jason Owe, but he has been flashy. And I think you've seen the, you know, you compare him to Rousseau, you've seen some of the pass rush, yeah. you know, pass rush wins, right? He had a, a streak of games in weeks 10, 11, and 12, five pressures, five pressures, six pressures. Hasn't had that same level of success of late. I think that's what he's kind of going to be. That's kind of what I expected of him as a pass yeah. rusher in year one, to be really exciting Really dynamic and really, you know, um, making a difference as a pass rusher in some games, but against better tackles with just kind of a one-trick pony with the speed and stuff, maybe being limited. I see him getting better in year two. I like him a lot. Seven, seven and a half for me.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go seven. He's still not quite as physically like imposing as he should be. Like he's still kind of not doesn't have that attacking mindset. Like you look at two freak athletes at Penn State, Micah Parsons and Rudolph Owe night and day on completely different ends of the spectrum in terms of just like how they attack a block. So still see that hesitancy, but the dude is a freak. Certified. 42 pressures on the season. I'm going to go 7 for Dafe Owe.
0: 7 for Adafi Owe. I like it. 7, 7.5. I like that. I think that's where I'm leaning as well. Joe Tryon Shroyinka will close out this segment here. He has been... I think initially you see the preseason, you're like, holy shit, this guy's a monster. But I think maybe some overreaction there to just like how physically gifted he is. 605-262, uh-huh. uber-athletic, did not play in 2020. It has looked like a different player compared to his 2019 tape. Now, I still think there's a lot of rust being knocked off. He's also played kind of in an – it plays like an interesting role, a little bit of a rotational he's role the, there. Has been their able sub to, package Yeah, hasn't been able to find like a legitimate rhythm there. I'm not putting him as high as I thought I was going to probably in the preseason. Yes. I like him at like a six and a half, six.
1: Yeah, I like that call. The preseason set expectations very high because he looks and, awesome in the preseason. And the thing was, this kind of in retrospect, looking back, you remember that whole Bruce Arians talking about, you know, he's beating worse. we basically saying like he doesn't need any more pass rushing moves or whatever. And it's like watching his tape kind of needs more pass. Rushing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he really does, but you still see special explosiveness for a guy with his size and his length. So I'm going to go seven. For him. Seven. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. I like that. That's going to do it for all 34-owners. We should do that more often. I kind of like that segment. It's a good segment. Maybe we should have done at the halfway point of the year. Now, probably too late to do it again next week. But still, some exciting stuff there. That will do it for this portion of the show. What we'll do next here is listen to – or we got the bust watches. Ooh, Watch Wednesdays. Bus watch bus watch watch, watch and whiff watch. and then we'll get to the interviews with Demarvin leal
1: and Trevor penning bus watch I made an exception here I've only done first rounders on bus watch through 14 weeks but we're gonna go this on first rounder because I got, I got I actually got a call out I don't I don't have a name in front of me of who it was asked me to put this guy in bus watch and it, it's deserved it. it is and it's denzel mims the jets wide receiver who a lot of people liked in the pre draft process blew up the combine ran Four three nine. 3 9 up the Senior Bowl, too. the Senior Bowl. And just like his tape Good at interview. Baylor was not what we saw at the Senior Bowl. was not what we saw at the combat. at Baylor was like fourth-round tape. It was just very average. A lot of contested catches. And he has not been able to, one, see the football field. Getting out-snapped by Keelan Cole in year two for the Jets. That's a red flag. Two, even when he has, has not been able to haul in a lot of passes has four yards on four targets in his last three games um Denzel Mims things need to change soon or else he is
0: I don't think it's changing
1: I mean he can't see the, the field it's a thing yeah. it's just the coaches are seeing him in practice and do not like what they're seeing whether it's if you can't crack the field in the Jets receiver room you're
0: there's a problem there's yes. an issue like he's struggling to see the field he's struggling to earn targets I mean he's run more than fifteen routes in each of the last three weeks and he has four targets and one reception for four yards. It's a disaster. It's a disaster for Denzel Mims right now. I don't know if it's coming back. Um you hate to see it because this is senior bowl and his comment was awesome. We had him on this podcast. I thought he was a super engaging interview. I think he's a smart dude. I don't know what the fuck's going on in practice. So it just has not worked out for Denzel Mims. Other bust watch. I like this call out by you. I don't think he gets in mm-hmm. because he does have the star power, but I'm a huge fan of this bust
1: watch. Devin McCourty, the safety for the New England Patriots. Had another pick on Thursday night is why I threw him on bus watch. His 31st of his career to break a tie with Earl Thomas to go ahead of him for in terms of just career picks. Now, Richard Sherman leads all active players with 37 career picks, so he's a little bit behind him. But in his 12-year career, he has been a top-10 graded safety, seven of those seasons, top-4 graded safety, three of those seasons right now. At 34 years old, since that's the thirteenth highest graded safety, has not seen a noticeable dip in play whatsoever, really, of late. So could be playing two, three more years, getting that pick total up. Would that put him if he plays three more productive years at this sort of level, would that put him in the Hall of Fame conversation? Because he's won three rings too and had some. I don't think it will, man. I don't I don't think it will. I just don't think he has the star power. Right. Like I don't think he does. Not a lot of guys in New England. It's weird because, like, I feel like mid two thousands New England, you know, when it was Richard Seymour, mm-hmm. um, Ty Law, Brewski. those were like you knew everyone in their defense. Mm-hmm. Past decade, it's been Brady, Edelman, Belichick. Like you, the defensive guys have not gotten the shine, whether it's Hightower or McCourty. Devin McCourty, the mainstay. I mean, Stephon Gilmore has
0: legitimate was legitimately like a I guess big Gilmore piece of did. that.
1: But so Patrick yeah, Chung, <laughs> I, I would say. The thing is, there's not a lot of safeties from this era, Earl Thomas, might be it, that are going to be end up being in the Hall of Fame. So it's an interesting Durland. conversation. I'm saying like past of when McCourty played. So it's an interesting conversation. I would lean probably not as well, but he has been damn. He's been good. sick, though. I, I think he's an underrated and, career. And what people, well, I don't want to say people forget, fuck, you probably remember, but he started his career at cornerback. He was drafted as cornerback, had seven picks his rookie year at cornerback. And they got switched by Bill Belichick. Like, he I'd be pissed if I was Devin McCourty. If I was playing balling out a cornerback, Bill Belichick, Galaxy braining him so he can pay him less just to play safety. Incredible move by Bill. Still, two steps ahead of all of us. No, I'm kidding. It's probably not why, but he was very good at corner. What about
0: too. when Bill drafted that Stanford safety Jordan? I can't remember his name, but everyone he drafted like at the top of the second round, and like everyone's like two steps ahead. No one saw this guy
1: in the second round, but fucking Bill, like I didn't even play. It was remember. the like, Illinois safety. It was the Illinois safety, was back it? In, yeah, it was. It was like Tavon Wilson, maybe.
0: No, I think it was a, a a Stanford safety. Was it not? I'm looking at the Patriots draft history now. It'll be short lived. It's Tavon Wilson.
1: Is it really second round? 2012. Jordan Richards, 2015, second oh, round of. out of
0: Stanford. That guy was butt cheeks. <laughs> and everyone's like, he drafted Malcolm Brown, then Jordan Richards. at picked 32 and 64, okay. and I was like, oh, my God. He's, he's ahead okay. of the game. Richards. Malcolm Brown, run stuffer out of Texas. Get him. And Jordan Richards, no one really saw this guy as a second rounder. Bill Belichick knows both those guys didn't even like last
1: of rookie contracts in New England. But Tavon Wilson the one out of Illinois where everyone's just like, who? When he got picked, he was 48th overall. And then he ends up like... He played less than 700 snaps it's entirely. Dude, I love the Patriots draft. draft history. Cyrus
0: Jones at 60. Yeah. Derek uh, Rivers in, uh, at 83 was their first pick in 2017. The Sony Michelle in the first round. Everyone's like, Bill Belichick, two, two steps ahead. You don't think you can draft running backs in the first round? Just did it. You think you're smarter than Bill Belichick? Sony Michelle is trash. Yeah. Jawan Williams in the second round. Nikhil Harry. It's all fucking cheeks. I mean, he has not been a good drafter or evaluator of talent. He's a good developer of talent. That's what – like, Belichick can take – Bad players and turn them into like like starters ish. Yeah. Like I don't think he's ever. I mean, I'm not saying Bill Belichick's bad. I, I'm sitting here with a fucking mustache and a Nike hoodie. I'm like, Bill Belichick can't evaluate talent. But, but I'm I mean, relative to the rest, he does not have rest, a good track record.
1: Relative to the rest of the NFL, not even just like. We're not saying to us. Yeah, we're saying relative to the rest of the NFL. Yeah. He has not been impressive in that regard.
0: I do feel like it's good to be self-aware on some of that stuff, though, because sometimes we get on these shows and, like, they got to go for that or you got to come down with that. I mean, it's, like, relative to the NFL, relative yes, to other that's teams, what
1: we're saying. Yeah. I mean, we're not saying that we would go in there and do better. I would. I would love to go in there and try. I would, but I would definitely
0: not. light up any corner. I would t- put Jordan Richards in front of me right now yeah. and fucking sauce his ass in the red zone. <laughs> no. Um, I am a good red zone threat, though, I will say. I didn't drop a single pass in our flag league this year. Just saying. I'm saying. I'm just saying. I got hands of steel. Or is that a good thing? I don't know. W- washed watch. This guy's been washed for like four years. It's an interesting washed watch.
1: I did it because it, Tom it Brady. On broadcast what, or whatever? what a
0: crazy call out. Tom Brady after one game, you're calling him washed?
1: No, <laughs> just, David Johnson. Because he turned 30. He hit the vaunted 30-year-old uh, number this past week. It's over. So screwed. the Texans running back, who was a, a key cog to the Texans rebuild and why they they wanted so badly that they gave away DeAndre Hopkins. Has now hit 30. He's averaging 3.2 yards per carry this season. He actually averaged 4.7 last year and had 691 yards. So he wasn't necessarily washed as can be last year. But he has been, yeah, it's over. It's, it's, I don't know, that was one of the worst trades in NFL history.
0: Quinn, I don't ask for a lot in the office department. I know I have a tattoo from the office on my leg, and we could probably flex that more. But for the wash segment, I think something that could be cool is season two when Michael is told not to tell the office that they're they're closing, right? Because the other company is going to take over and they're going to get absorbed by Stanford. He comes in. He says, "We're it's over. We're screwed." I think it's a good it's a good sound clip to throw in for the Wasp Watch. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Next time, Whiff Watch, Quinn Whiff Williams, watch. you have in the Whiff Watch. He is not. Everyone's been expecting him to like turn this corner, like, turn the corner, turn the corner, turn the corner, and uh, not sure what's going on. Yeah, and I have.
1: I feel bad and, maybe putting two Jets on here in and Bus Watch and Whiff Watch, but. Quinn Williams had number three overall. There was a legitimate conversation in 2019 at the top of the draft Nick Bosa versus Quinn Williams. There was. That was like a debate that went down. In retrospect, comical. <laughs> yeah. Like, Nick Bosa hit the ground as a top five edge defender in the NFL. Quinn Williams has not at any point sniffed a top five defensive tackle in the NFL. And this year, 64.0 overall, great. Like, and now some of that is he's just a very up and down player. Like you don't watch his tape and they're like he's just not making an impact. No, he makes an impact, but then he also then makes a negative impact and has some ugly plays on his tape. He could still you still see the flashes, still see the high end, but man has like you said, never taken that next step. If you had the number three overall pick in that draft, you definitely want to do over for what he's brought to the table the last 100%. three seasons.
0: You can I'm not putting him on bust watch, I'm not putting him on whiff watch. But there has been a player that we have somehow not talked about at all this season that has not played well. And <clears throat> he was like a big – there was a lot of conversation on like whether or not this player was worth a top-10 pick. Derek Brown. We have not talked about Derek Brown. We le- did. We, did we? We talked about him once at one point. Derek Brown has been not good this year. Yeah. Like legitimately not good. doesn't have more than three pressures in any single game, and he has a sub-60.0 PFF run defense grade. Last year, he had a 54.1. This year, it's a 59.3 in run defense. He has not been, by any sense, worth that top 10 pick. And I feel like we're just like overlooking it. Like we're overlooking it, even though, like, I remember like having him slip outside the top 15 of a mock, and yeah. people who
1: stand for Derrick Brown want to be dead on the street. And his whole thing was like NFL readiness, too, because he was a senior. And it's like, look how physical he is. And the weird thing was always to that conversation was like, all his reps, all his best reps were like, I guess a lot of guys' best reps, but he was good one-on-one. He legitimately, even at Auburn, struggled against double teams. Like, he could get taken off the ball in college against double teams. And if you're going to draft a DT top 10 for a guy who is primarily a run defender, and that's why I think why they drafted him, shit, you better be holding up to the double teams. You better look like goddamn Jordan Davis does when he gets double teamed. So, yeah, I mean, Derek Brown, even as just like in run defense, even making plays, twenty first among defense tackles and run stops, but a lot of that's because he was played a lot his run stop percentage is outside the top fifty for defensive tackles right now, so like he's not even like even just counting stats you know if you don't trust b f f grades there's not a lot there so far sadly i mean I think the biggest
0: don't trust PFF grades. Have you heard his fucking name this year? You know, like like you yeah. drafted a no, he's drafted number seven overall. You have to be he has to be an impact player. Like yeah. he has to he has to be and at least for him he's played a lot of snaps. Five hundred and forty snaps played. I remember there was conversation about like how often he's gonna be on the field and stuff like that. He's played a lot of snaps. The stamina has been there, but he has not been all that impactful. Right, as a pass mm-hmm. rusher or in run defense, which is where you need him to show up. Especially man, if he's gonna play. And what what what's been weird for me is he's not he has not played a ton of nose this year. And I thought he was
1: really impressive last year on the nose. And he has not played a ton of nose this well, year. Well, it's a pass rusher. But again, I think they're not putting him on the nose because double teams. And yeah. straight up like trying to avoid him. Fair enough. Last part here, first round lock. You only got a couple more left. Ooh. How many more
0: left do you have?
1: Yeah, what did I say? I was going to go up until two more. So mm-hmm. two more after this. This is 18th. 18th first round lock. I'm not going to read them all. We'll read them all when I get to 20. Okay. But 20, you got to stop because you keep going, you're going to look stopping. like a fool. Yeah, so there's. <laughs> you're okay, like so a 21. I'm not going to look like a fool. I'm just going to miss a couple. Yeah. I feel like I'm pretty good about all these. Like I said, the one I feel probably the worst amounts to Marvin Leal. Yeah. This one, though, I feel good. Uh-oh. It's a very good. Barring injury checks, combine injury check, and it's Drake London, USC wide receiver. I like that. He has surefire first round tape. Should he be healthy? What she is does. your opinion? We, don't, we haven't
0: talked about Drake London a ton lately just because he got hurt. But there are some
1: Mike Evans comps being thrown around. No. Okay. The Mike Evans comp is incorrect. Sorry, everyone. Sorry.
0: I love when you say sorry. God damn it.
1: Sorry. Sorry, everyone who wants to make the Mike Evans comp. Yes, they are both six foot five and light skinned. I get it. They look similar. They are not similar players. Mike Evans was much better deep speed at like Mike Evans ran like a four five, three. I want to say coming out of Texas A&M uh, was like 225, 230 pounds and could run in a straight line. He could not break a tackle to save his life. Half of Drake London's like half of Drake London's appeal is you can't bring this guy down. He's a glorified tight end after the catch and how difficult it is for safeties, cornerbacks. He has 49 broken tackles in his career on 160 catches. That is an insane rate for a receiver that tall. That is. For me, but that what that sort of skill set reminds me of Brandon Marshall. There's your count. Oh wow, That's the count.
0: I like For that. Drake count.
1: Brandon Marshall could not bring that dude down as catch. Brandon Marshall ran like a four six two coming out of UCF. Brandon Marshall was not that dynamic an athlete, but Brandon Marshall caught eighteen balls in a game, or was it? Was it did he get to twenty one game in Denver with Jay Cutler because? Couldn't touch that dude in a slant. You could not, like, he could, you could be hanging on his back and he'd catch the ball three feet away from you because he's six foot five. That is the skill set that Drake London brings to the table is that he consistently can move the chains one-on-one. Not going to be a deep speed guy, but I don't even think Mike Evans is that consistently move the chains one-on-one guy. He's far more of an explosive downfield type of wide receiver. Drake London, Brandon Marshall is the count.
0: I think my favorite thing about Drake London's tape this past year or like even just like Drake London's like production this past year and I love the Brandon Marshall comp, that's fucking awesome Brandon Marshall was awesome is they threw his way Every fucking play, and they had no answers. Like, with a contested catch guy, that can't create separation. These are his stat lines before he got hurt, or his targets 18, 13, 13, 20, 18, 13. This dude was getting targeted legitimately on like every other passing down and still went over like 80 yards in every game he played. Every game he played went over 80 yards. He was phenomenal this past year. My favorite
1: thing about London's tape was that he was phenomenal and USC still sucked. Yeah, and Slovis was struggling. I mean, that was my favorite thing. (laughs) He goes for 171 against Notre Dame, it doesn't even matter. That That was my favorite thing.
0: Your Notre Dame... Someone commented on the YouTube that your Notre Dame homerism is getting
1: toxic. Suck it. (laughs) All
0: right, let's get out of this one. Let's go to these interviews with DeMarvin Leal, a guy that you're even wavering on being a first-round lock. Wait till you hear this interview. And then Trevor Penning of Northern Iowa. One of my favorite interviews this year. Honestly, he was fucking awesome. Super funny guy. Uh, Good guy to have on the show. He watches Saw before games. (sighs) Wow. It's a scary motherfucker. Yeah. I'm excited, though. I'm excited for you guys to get insane. DeMarvin Leal and Trevor Penning, let's get it. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Texas A&M defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal. DeMarvin, I've been meaning to get you on this show for a long time. Your game is some of the most impressive in all of college football. You are a rare size athleticism combination, 6'4", 290, comparable to guys like Cameron Jordan in the NFL. Guys that play on the inside and on the outside have this rare dominance to their size athleticism ratio. Leal, great to have you on the show. Appreciate you joining.
2: Thank you very much for having
0: me. Where I want to start is you have a pretty insane recruiting background in high school you know, career, right? Like you come to Texas A&M as the big dog on campus, former five-star coming out of Texas, offers from every Blue Blood program in the country. You had to feel like – what was that high school experience like, right? Like there are a lot of guys that are two, three-star recruits that develop into these stars. You have been a star from the jump. What was your high school experience like? And I guess walk me through some of these, I'm sure, insane recruiting stories that you had on these trips to these Blue Boy programs.
2: Um, you know, high school was crazy. I had unbelievable teammates, you know, and I uh, came from uh, unbelievable cult- culture as well. Converse Judson, you know, there's a – unbelievable tradition there, and that culture itself is just crazy to be in, and I'm uh, very blessed to be part of it as well. So, you know, coming up, you, I had guys like Alton Robinson that was um, basically like a big brother to me, and uh, he taught me certain things about the game, pastor and just how to be violent. And, uh, you know, over the years, I just learned that for myself and learned my game, and everything just came together. That that's uh,
0: not surprising. I'm I'm happy that you know you obviously you are able to hit the ground running right at Texas A and M. You play right out of the gate over 400 snaps played in 2019, and really saw your game improve significantly in this 2020 campaign, where you're given a a lot of opportunity to play. Um, along the defensive lines fit to your strengths and those things. What has the, you know, development at Texas A&M been like for you, right? What have been some of the key moments in your development there where you felt that you've seen some of the most success uh, over the course of your career?
2: Uh, you know, we had a, a great coaching staff with Coach Schmidt and uh, you know, the rest of the coaching staff and, you know, um, in the weight room. It all started like offseason, you know, getting in the weight room, running and you know, all of that translated to just how much I, I could stay in the game. And, mm-hmm. and it was able to keep me at a, a good strength to be able to go inside and out.
0: Yeah, I think that versatility is something I wanted to talk about as well, right? In 2019, played a lot on the edge. And then this past – or no, 2020, played a lot on the edge, winning at, you know, a head up or outside the tackle. And then this past year, you played up and down the line of scrimmage. I'm sure that is both obviously – Awesome for you to get that experience but also a little bit of a challenge right you're having to learn different shades different techniques how you you know how you play a guard is way different than you how you play a tackle um is that versatility is something that you still want to you know uh, you know, prioritize as you go into your career and get to the NFL because obviously there is this infatuation with guys like yourself that can play up and down the line of scrimmage Yes
2: sir you know um going in the inside you know you have to learn how to like actually you know, prepare for a combination block and be able to beat it as well. And um there's just lots of times where it's just – being in the defensive end, defense block was completely different. But, you know, I was still able to do it because throughout the week, we prepared, you know, a lot for it. So I would start off inside, then just go outside. And, you know, it just became a habit. And I've learned over the season just how much of an impact I can be inside and out.
0: Are there guys in the NFL? I know I brought up Cameron Jordan just because he's a little bit of a size similarity, but are there guys in the NFL that maybe in the off season or even when you have opportunities in season, you like to watch film of and, and take some of their game or some of, or who are some of your favorite guys to watch in the NFL?
2: Um, definitely JJ Watt and Donald, you know, Cameron Jordan, like you said, and uh, just watching those guys and just watching their technique, their takeoffs, uh, definitely the takeoffs. And, uh, just basically, just how they switch their pass rushes up just to beat the man in front of them, depending the mm-hmm. on if it's inside or out that pass rush
0: move versatility so important for a guy like yourself that does play up and down the line of scrimmage I think highlighting that as something that you want to prioritize and and see in other NFL guys is not super surprising as well I think that's outstanding where you're heading there I want to focus also uh, on this season specifically and then how that film study maybe changes in season I know in the trenches offensive line versus defensive line it's kind of like a chess match right you have to set up moves counter different things you can't just throw the same thing at guys And I feel like that is a game within a game itself. What do you look for on film when you're you know, you're know, watching an opponent offensive line? You're looking at an opposing guard or an opposing tackle. What tendencies do you look for? What are all these things that you look to pick up on tape?
2: You know, being a, in the SEC, you know, you have good um, offensive tackles and guards as well. So just being able to pick up the different types of sets because, you know, some offensive linemen, they have more than just one set. And then also just how, like, pre-snap keys, like how tight the splits are, are heavy on their hands, are they uh, light on their hands, are they are their feet, like, leaning, you know, and sometimes even just the helmets gave it away, just the way they leaned their helmets in, showing which direction they were going. You know, it was just a lot. And um, having to watch from uh, center all the way to the tackle on both sides, So I really had to pay attention to the whole line and just how they all – how they come together, how they work together just to be able to beat the combination blocks or, you know, uh, make sure I know when a zone is coming or counter –
0: and I'm glad you brought up, you know, playing in the SEC and getting that opportunity to go against, you know, some of the best offensive linemen in all of college football. Are there any names? And it could even be guys that you played on your own team, right? Like Kenyon Green is another really talented mm-hmm. offensive lineman that I'm sure you've definitely. had some battles with in practice. But who are some guys or names that come to mind when you think of some of the best challenges you've had in your college football career?
2: I'd definitely say Kenyon Green is number one. You know, he would <laughs> be in practice, you'll switch his sets like two or three times and You know, he's a real guy that you really have to go through and just be able to set yourself up play after play. No matter if you're inside or out, because, you know, he plays all five positions as well.
0: Kenyon Green's another one of those guys, too, right? Where, like, this year he's played, I think, over 50 snaps at Left guard, left tackle, right guard, and right tackle. He was kind of in a similar boat as you in that he could do anything, and I think he's going to be another one, like yourself, another one of these coveted, versatile um, linemen in this upcoming draft. Focusing more on kind of your outlook moving forward, what are you – prioritizing right now as you get into the early, you know, late season, early offseason process. Are there certain things that you have high on your mind in terms of goals you want to accomplish, areas you want to improve, things you want to train for as you approach what's obviously going to be a hectic pre-draft season?
2: Yeah, you know, um, it's basically the same focus as you know, last uh, last offseason like um, pass rush, you know, I have to live it and I felt like I did a pretty good job being able to develop in my pastures game and be able to have more sacks throughout the season. And um, just being able just to go out there, you know, in the NFL and just give QBs a hard time. Hmm. <laughs> I think that's the name of the game when it all
0: comes to, when it's all said and done is giving quarterbacks a hard time. Another thing I want to ask you about is your relationship specifically with Jimbo Fisher. Man, this guy is putting on an absolute clinic on the recruiting trail. I think he has five of the top eight recruits going to Texas A&M in 2022. He is legitimately changing the program there at Texas A&M. What is your relationship with Jimbo? And I guess speak to what he's doing for Texas A&M.
2: You know, when Jimbo first, you know, moved to Texas a he said one thing, that he was going to change the culture. And You know, we guys, us guys, as athletes, you know, that were at a and we helped them change change the program as well. And, you know, when you go to Kyle field and when you go to a you just, you can feel that the atmosphere is different. It's a different type of culture. It's a different type of vibe that you get when you go there. And, you know, for... All the recruits that came in, they they understood what we were what we're building and what was built. You know, the foundation of it and the culture that we've put together. You know, even through adversity throughout the season, like we still have that solid like chemistry and culture. And so, being able to, you know, look at your brother and tell him when he's right or wrong. You know, that it goes a far far away. And just having people that has it back, you know, it's a family atmosphere over there. So that's basically why recruiting is so well right now, because they tell that it's not just the business, it's Mm -hmm. family and everybody's going to have it back there.
0: I, I think the you know culture. I talked to a lot of college coaches. I haven't had an opportunity to talk to Jimbo yet, but talking to some of these coaches that are trying to change programs around. You think about Eli Drinkwitz from Missouri, PJ Fleck at Minnesota now. I mean Tom Allen at Indiana. These guys are pushing culture more than anything, right? And that, yeah, football is a an nexus and O's game, but you have to have buy-in in this culture. And it sounds like, especially hearing from you, which obviously a leader on this program in this program. He's doing that. He's he's really moving Texas A and M culture forward. Another thing I had to get your opinion on from this past season, beating Alabama. You had five total pressures in that game. That had to have been. I mean, that might. Can I? Am I crazy to think that's a top three moment in your life? I mean, that has to be one of the that's craziest things ever. Talk to me about that game specifically. Mm-hmm. Fans storming the field, all of that. I want the full story.
2: Okay, so you know. When you're a recruit and when you're in a middle high school, middle school, no matter what it is, you're like, dang, like Bama, like <laughs> imagine playing for Bama. No, I didn't have that thought. I had imagined beating Bama. You know, <laughs> I love that. that that's why I went to him Like I wanna, you know what I'm saying, help build something and take down a big map, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like my like a personally that I could help contribute to you know, changing the program and being able to become one of those top tier programs and within the conference. And so being being Bemo was basically part of the plan all along. You know, there was a lot of X's, X's against us going into that game and just coming out and we're all doing our jobs and it was just amazing, really. And Man. you know, uh, it was really amazing, and just the like, just the immediate responses. You know, you know how they get uh, get into the end zone. We got kickoff return, the next play. You know, yeah. it's just being able to respond on all three parts of the game: uh, offense, defense, and special teams. That's basically what the key to it was, and just being very physical. And you know, um, man, I was standing up when the kick, when the field goal had went in, and I was like, I couldn't even. Rest- The field myself, I was just sitting there, like, kind of shook just because, like, it finally happened, yeah. And you know, gave you that same type of floating Florida feeling from 2020 because of the same exact score, yeah. And you know, it came that field goal, and so it was just like a wow. And so, just being able to see everybody storm the field, just celebrate with us that moment, it was just unbelievable.
0: Man, I wish I was at that game. It looked insane, and I'm so happy. I mean, you were recruited by Bama, man. You turned them down. You went to Texas A&M to beat Bama, and you pulled off there in your last year at that Texas A&M. I'm sure you have a lot of – I was a, I was, <laughs> a, I was a, a committed a recruit when I went to
2: Bama. I was mm-hmm. committed to Texas a m and all those guys, oh, yeah, I'll never beat this. What, it's All four years that you go, all three years, four years, you're never going to beat us. Oh, my That's gosh.
0: <laughs> it's deadly. It's cutthroat there, man. That's phenomenal, dude. I'm so happy for you. That's phenomenal. I'm sure you have a lot of big wins left on your schedule, man. You are a phenomenal player and a phenomenal interview, DeMarvin. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank
2: you very much. Thanks for having me. God bless.
0: Now joining the Tailgate podcast is current UNI offensive tackle. One of the most decorated players I think we've had on this show. All-American, Hero Sports, AP, FCS ADA, Stats Perform. You are cleaning up with the All-American Awards, All-American Honors. It's all well-deserved, Trevor. Great to have you on the show.
3: Great to be here.
0: Where I want to start, man, I got to be honest. Some of these numbers, six foot seven, you're in that 330, 340 range. I think we talked a little bit before the show. And these athletic testing numbers, these weight numbers are thrown around here squat 625, cleans 385, size 17 shoe, all from Bruce Feldman from The Athletic. I mean, how much have those numbers gotten better over the course of the career? When did you really start to prioritize the weight room? Like I need to hear more about just how you've really developed into what will be, I'm sure when we get to Indy, when we get to the combine, one of the most athletic offensive tackles in this draft.
3: Yeah. So my actual weight, I mean, I've, I've seen three, I think 321 I've seen, I've seen 340. Uh, I've seen it all and anything in between, but, um, I think my, I think this year I played around 335. I started here about 340, uh, dropped a little bit of weight just from probably not lifting seven to eight times a week. But uh, um, played at about 335, maybe a little bit under for the most of the season. Um, Now now I'm kind of around the uh, low 330s mark with, uh, you know, just all this training and stuff uh, getting into. So, uh, yeah, so about that. And then with the shoe size, yeah, that's, 17s, Yep. <laughs> Wear uh, that uh, like a badge
0: of honor. Love that. Yep.
3: Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the squat 625. That's, that's right. Um, the clean 385. Yep. Um, what other numbers were there?
0: I mean, four, I saw, saw like high four nines, maybe low five, five, five Oh, four yard dash. I haven't seen any short shuttle three cone stuff. I'm excited for that. No, but, I, kinda, uh,
3: I know back, um, I think it was my red shoot freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I was probably about 315 still back then but I know I broke the you and I all time uh LGO record at 737 or 747. Oh wow. Wow. It was either 737 or 747 but um I did I did that my freshman year I was still a or uh, redshirt freshman year so my second year mm-hmm. um in the summer and um I broke that and um honestly I think I've I still I still could do that to this day, I mean, i have probably even better, honestly, with all the strength and, you know, agility gains I've done over the past five years I've uh, been at UNI. So, um, yeah, for the most part, those numbers are pretty much correct.
0: That's awesome, man. Those numbers are phenomenal. A big reason why I think you know, a lot of people will be, you know, speaking to your name here in the pre-draft process. I want to turn back the clocks a little bit too and talk about your high school career, right? You know, you had, I think you played a lot of basketball. You played some track and field and obviously played uh football there. I think Clear Lake, Iowa is what I saw. Three sport athlete. What positions did you play for the football team? Was it just offensive line? Did you get on the defense side of the ball? And then I need to know the type of basketball player you were. Were you down low, bully ball? I've seen the videos of you dunking. Were you are you hitting three balls from the corner? I need to know the type of basketball player you were
3: too. Well, first things, there's definitely no three balls in my basketball. <laughs> game. I, can, I can tell you that right now. I Same. Basketball. I'm not, a, I was not a shooter whatsoever, but, um, so a football team, um, I mean, I wasn't, wasn't big in high school. Like I, I, I think I was 5'10, 170 as a, uh, as a freshman. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew a lot, um, during high school and even college, but I think uh, mostly for high school, I played, um, tight end for the first part of my high school career. Mm-hmm. Didn't really catch the ball too much though. I, <laughs> we, we ran the ball a lot, but, uh, played tight end, um, defensive end. Um, I played a little D tackle, I think. Um, so, I mean, it was a small high school. It was like, we're just a step up from class or, uh, eight man football. So mm-hmm. yeah. we were a very small high school. So I was, I was still like one of the biggest guys in this, on the field. I but, hope um, so, man. If you had yeah, more yeah. people
0: bigger than you, that'd be pretty insane.
3: Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. But uh yeah, I played tight end and DN I think my junior year and like sophomore year. Senior year I moved to O line fully. I was our like pulling guard almost like I pulled 70% of the plays and wing T or something or what'd you guys run? Um yeah it, it was a little it was wing T-esque. It was like gotcha. a little bit of a little bit of uh a little bit of uh, everything, pretty much. But um, yeah, so a senior, year I played pulling guard, played defensive end, also played every special team. Um, you know, uh, yeah. So then yeah. basketball, obviously played post. No, <laughs> no other option. Um, uh, shoot, what else? Uh, track. You said track. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, I, did, I did track my junior and senior year. Um, I did shot and disc, obviously, yeah. but uh, yeah. nothing and the four by fat can't can't forget that we had a uh (laughs) uh, four it was a four it was literally the last race of the night it was called the four by fat it was just a four by one with all the throwers and um you know I was really the only one that was um big like all the other guys were like little scrawny like they were just throwing just kind of the throw because we we needed someone but um, um we'd always do that and um you know, I'd hold my, I'd hold my weight, I think, with uh, running, I mean, so, um, that's what I did, I also played baseball when, I, I, until my sophomore year, junior, sophomore year, um, I was actually an outfielder, crazy, wow. my outfielder, my, mainly DH though, mm-hmm. gotcha. but, um, Hitting bombs not much a the- fielding, but, um, <laughs> that was, that was when I was younger, I mean, I didn't really take baseball too serious, but, um, yeah, those are those are all the sports I played. I also wrestled a year, I guess, but I got that was my sophomore year. I wrestled actually, and um, I. I Grew about five inches, so uh, I think basketball was the right choice for me.
0: Yeah, I mean wrestling too, right? And, and football, you're looking to add weight, and wrestling, is like they're encouraging to drop and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's always yeah. a little bit yeah. difficult. Um, yeah. You play all these sports, right? And you're, you know, obviously, you know, good size, this athleticism, all that stuff. But you weren't heavily recruited coming out of clearly, like, you know, coming out of high school. I remember I saw a quote from you. I think about. You, know, you grew up a handful of, you know, a couple hours away or maybe like 30 minutes away from Ames and you weren't recruited by, I would say you were not recruited by some of these schools that were close to you. What was the recruiting process like for you? And I guess how much did it, I'm sure, build this kind of chip on your shoulder going into college?
3: Um, yeah, there's not much attention. I mean, I, I think I got attention starting like actual like people talking to me, like division two coaches, probably spring, spring of my it would have been it was spring of 2017 so or 2016 my bad uh going into my senior year so I was still a junior but the next football season was senior year mm-hmm. um yeah I got a couple couple messages from like division three division two schools um and I was actually one of them I was I think the only FCS school maybe I think South Dakota might have been too but those were the those are the two schools, FCS schools that ended up offering me. And, um, uh, yeah, I think spring of my spring of my junior year, going into my senior year, I got some attention and I didn't actually get offered till after my senior year, probably like, I think it was November or something late, late November they offered me. And, uh, yeah, just going, going, I wasn't, wasn't heavily recruited at all. I don't think I ever even talked to Iowa or Iowa state at all. Like they wow. did
2: they didn't, to, they didn't
3: want to. They didn't. talk to me one bit. I don't think I got a single, single recruiting visit, single message or anything. I just flew under the radar, I guess. But um, uh, yeah.
0: Somehow, somehow, flying under the radar at six foot se- six foot seven, three hundred and fifty pounds, um, going into your Northern Iowa career. I think, you know, you're redshirt, right? And then you spend like the entire year just weightlifting and prioritizing, adding weight and adding strength and all that. Then you start to get some opportunities in 2019, play I think over 800 snaps that season. You already see some growth as a pass protector there. COVID impacted season. You only played 376 snaps. Obviously a lot of factors go into that year. And then you look at this past year, you know, one of the highest grades of your career, according to PFF, for the highest PFF pass blocking grade, highest run blocking grade, you really, in my opinion, put this all together. And I think it's the, when you look at the tape, it is a freakishly athletic, huge person that is now honing its craft, you know, honing your craft as one of the more polished football players there at UNI, there in college football. I guess speak to how much you feel you've improved over the course of your career at Iowa. And then also, you know, what all went into really this breakout season for you this past year, if you feel like it felt like a breakout
3: season. Um, yeah. Over over my career, I've uh, you know, I've improved in like. Okay every year I feel like I've gotten better and better and better. And um, I think honestly, it's going to keep improving too. Like, I'm, I don't think I'm even close to the surface of what, or close to the, you know, kind of where I can be. I think I have a ton of improvement I can do. Um, And uh, just going year by year, I I think I've kind of proven that, that I can keep getting better and better. And um, yeah. So going back to my like freshman year, it was just kind of, it was not much football. It was more, getting the right strength because i was probably 260 270 walking into the building um you know i was not nearly strong enough i don't think um so you know putting all the hours of uh work in the weight room and um just eating right yeah putting all that all that uh you know protein in you we had we had something called uh jungle juice not the jungle oh, no. Juice. You think of. i need to it hear was, this jungle
0: juice what was it
3: well, I did it my freshman and reg- going. It was like re- it was my freshman year and like a little bit of my summer going into my second year, reg- freshman year. It's basically just it's literally just whey protein and uh, Gatorade. It's oh literally God. it's nothing it's nothing crazy, but it's like <laughs> all the skinny guys that need to gain weight did it. Like I know Spencer and Ellerson both did it because <laughs> they were they were smaller than me, so they were they would do that. And some guys even have to do it for practice. I luckily did not have to do that, but that stuff will, you will throw that stuff up. So yeah, that <laughs> sounds is. like
0: a death. Sign. I mean, it sounds worse than the jungle juice people cook up in the tubs. That sounds heavy. No, it, that, a, that'll sit in your stomach like a rock. Oh, no, man. it
3: does. It does. Cause yeah. Cause we would drink it during workouts and stuff and it would just be like, Ooh, stomach's uh, kind of feeling <laughs> it a little but, uh Yeah. But that, I think that, uh, that stuff and, and uh, eating right, I think that's definitely helped me, uh, you know, make all these gains in the weight room and um, on the field even. So, um, yeah, going, my freshman year was basically just all all uh, just weight room and building strength and muscle. And, you know, going into my first spring was kind of when I got introduced to kind of knowing the, knowing the playbook, playing actual football. And, uh, yeah, so – I think over the years, it's, it's, I've gotten, you know, I've gotten better every year. I think I got tons of improvements and uh, yeah.
0: Speak, speak to a little bit, you know, I think the the jungle juice is phenomenal, but I'm sure you're also a technician in the, the film room. And I'd love to hear kind of what your process has been and how it's improved when you're looking at an opposing edge rusher or opposing defense, what tendencies you look for. And I guess how much you factor that into your preparation in a game week, how, how much you prioritize film
3: work. Uh, film works huge for me. I mean, uh, I mean, it has to be, you have to be able to, you know, know your opponent, the guy lining up across from you along with knowing the defense they run. Um, you know, whenever I look for in a defensive lineman, a defensive end specifically, um, you know, at first I want to, I want to know what they're doing for pass, because I think that's kind of the thing that is most important to me that oh, I absolutely. need to like, so I need to figure out whether they're a, you know, a bull guy, speed guy, um, you know, how much they weigh, what, what's their size, how they're, how twitchy are they, um, you know, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. And, you um, you know, that's, that, that was a huge uh, thing I would do before, like literally the day after our games, like it'd be like Monday or Sunday or Monday, I would go on, go on, go on my phone. We had a uh, app that we could watch our film on and, uh, you know, I just would scout the DMs, um, make some notes, um, do all that. Um, also figure out kind of what defense they play. You know, are they at odd front, even front? Um, how do their safeties play? How do their corners play? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just all that really, um, was very important and, uh, you know, that was, you know, I think a real big part of, uh, you know, of my success.
0: I want to talk a little bit about how you're preparing for the Senior Bowl. I know you accepted that invite, and that has been, and you, I'm sure you're well aware and everyone in your camp is well aware, such a huge opportunity for guys like yourself coming from you know, FCS programs that can go to the Senior Bowl and go against these you know, Power Five, some of the top players in the country. Before we get to that, I got one more comment on this past season. I was reading an article, and I got to read this quote to you, and I need this reaction. This is from your offensive line coach, Ryan Clanton. We hey, treat
3: i already know already know what it
0: is i read this trevor and i'm like what the hell is going on am i should i be worried to talk to this guy you sound like a serial killer in this quote well i'll read it to you right now we treat him like a mythical creature he watches Saw on his phone before games. We treat him like Bigfoot and we don't look him in the eye. Should I be scared? That's the question. That's the question. Should I be scared? Walk me through why you watch Saw, which is a great film. It kind of got destroyed with the series with how many movies they made. But the first one was good. I and I guess I why, why are people talking about you as a mythical creature? I need to know what Clint's talking about here.
3: <laughs> well, the Saw thing first. The Saw thing is like kind of a, it was, um, what was it? It was been, we had a game. So it was Halloween. Halloween was on a Friday night. Okay. Or no, Thursday night. It was about a Thursday night. It was Halloween. And um, I was like going through Netflix. And I was just like, oh, shoot, they got Saw in here. I've never seen it before. I've always wanted to see it. Watched it. It was great. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I watched it. So I was like, shoot, I want to watch Saw 2 and 3 and all of them. You know, I watched that for the bus because we had to go to Illinois State and normal. So that was like five-hour bus ride or so so oh my gosh i I was i had it on my phone i was watching the second saw (laughs) and one of our center at the time he was sitting behind me um he looks at he looks at my phone he's like what are you watching i'm like uh saw (laughs) he's like oh my god you're a psychopath i'm like what it's not a big deal but uh, um he had to tell everyone and it was like the funniest like inside joke almost and yeah uh yeah so that's that's what that's from but uh i i, I did watch like i think five saw movies on that whole trip so i watched oh my first- gosh
0: you grinded those out
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i watched i watched them on the way there then after the game i watched like another two or two and a half i think it was i finished it at home or something but um i watched that so that's where that came from um mm-hmm. uh, bigfoot i don't know Bigfoot maybe came from – I mean, I wear size seventeen shoes, so that's yeah, It's probably, true. It's true. I'm just kind of a giant human. But uh, uh, what else is like mythical creature? I I don't know. Just yeah. I guess I'm a scary well, guy. Well,
0: it feels like it was overblown, right? You read that quote and you think like you like headbutt lockers before games and shit. Uh. It's like, but you sound like a nice guy, Trevor. I got to be honest. You sound like a nice guy. I'm not. I'm not too worried. I'm gonna look you in the eyes and I feel pretty good about it. Let's close with uh, that. Go ahead. I think,
3: I think that he definitely blew it out of proportion. But, uh, <laughs> he, I think he apologized to me for it. Because he was just like, by the way, I'm sorry for that quote or whatever. Like it just kind of, it kind of just came out. I'm like, that's all right. I don't even, it doesn't bother me.
0: I don't think it'll be the last you're hearing of it. Right. I think the senior no, will pick it up heard on like the NFL network broadcast. I think that one's going to run pretty rampant. Oh, yeah. Um, We'll, we'll, we'll close with this, Trev. I don't want to waste too much of your time. I really appreciate you jumping on. Got the Senior Bowl coming up. I just want to hear from you kind of what your goals are going into that big week and maybe even speak to kind of what your goals are and how you're approaching this offseason. It's going to be a hectic one. We talked a little bit about that before getting into the show. It's going to be crazy. Got combine, I'm sure, bowl games, you know, the bowl coming up, uh, the Senior Bowl coming up. It's got a lot going on. How are you kind of entering this headspace and uh, I guess what your goals are for pre-draft season here?
3: Um, my goals going in are just honestly get drafted as high as I, you know, pretty much can. So mm-hmm. I want to, I want to absolutely, you know, dominate this uh, process as, um, I think I'm able to, you know, being able to do so, um, you know, going in the senior bowl, I know I've, I've started prepping down in Frisco, Texas here last, last two Wednesday and, um, yeah, just getting ready for that senior bowl. I think that's going to be a big part of, uh, you know, my, um, draft stock. I think, uh, you know, going down there and showing I can compete with the, uh, all these FBS guys, whether it's SEC, big 10, big 12, uh, you know, showing that I think that can really help. And, um, you know, doing that, you know, doing, doing some stuff down here that, um, will help me, you know, prepare for that is definitely great. And I think, uh, Going into it, I, I should I should be able to have full confidence uh, going into it and being able to just, you know, play play uh, play my kind of football. Love that, man.
0: Well, I wish you the best of luck moving forward. We'll be down there at the Senior Bowl. Maybe we'll catch up in person, watch some Saw movies together. But, Trev, this is fantastic. <laughs> I really appreciate the time. And, like I said, best of luck moving forward. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Reiner, Tailgate.